For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. A couple of stories on Lee's side that aren't making the papers, but certainly are making online. And uh, indeed, uh, the good people of Cork have been in touch with me overnight about events out in Blackpool. One involved uh, the closing off of the road between Blackpool Shopping Centre and Blackpool Village. Um, and apparently, um, we were hearing that it could have been involved in a, in a, in a, in a car chase that involved in a crash. Uh, two teens possibly arrested um, and what that was going on out there and then in the very same vicinity then we had the bomb squad truck and the Gardaí who apparently were evacuating houses on the road and what have you seems to me that there were uh, and people getting in touch with me uh, this morning and overnight that the two incidents were separate but did happen around the, the same area and around the same time so I have updates on that I certainly do uh, and I'll come back to it in a few minutes I'm only mentioning it now it's a big story locally but it isn't necessarily making uh, the papers um, also there has been and we had it on air yesterday morning Cam a call for Cam after all of these different shooting incidents and these call out videos and this feud between uh, at least three different, it would appear, traveller families. Own English picks up on the Cork story in the Examiner this morning where community leaders have appealed for CAM. We were talking yesterday morning of a mother and child trying to get out of the halting site um, and their way was blocked by men with uh, axes. What appears to be an escalation in the feud between two groups uh, and there was uh, shots fired as well. And this is in and around the traveller halting site up in Ballyvalan. So we had Kenneth Flynn on the air yesterday. That's, I think, going to get an awful lot worse before it gets better because I don't think these individuals listen to anybody. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the Echo is leading with um, a story we've been running with all week, and that is the uh, switching on of the lights, but the public and families are not invited. The Lord Mayor um, has said that he's he hears the disappointment of the public with regards to the cancellation of the event, um, and that's a dominant story in the front of this morning's uh, Echo. But one of the things that did happen overnight was, um, forgive me now, but I'm very slow with the old Paul, would have been uh, to do with uh, striking the rate for the city uh, over the next uh, 12 months or so. That's a story that also makes the papers today uh, interesting to see that parking charges aren't going up. I, I may well come back to that and break down the different amounts of money with regards to trying to strike a rate. But the examiner this morning says that there'll be no hike in Cork City rates and there'll be no hike in parking charges. They've got about €292 million Euro, uh, to deliver in services across uh, Cork City and suburbs. A much bigger Cork City and suburbs, incidentally, since the change in the boundaries. But Own English also has a lovely story in the examiner with the latest update regarding the historic fireman's rest, which then for many year, years was used as the busman's hut and it was just left to go to rack and ruin it was in an awful state up in Fitzgerald's Park I mean awful I don't know if you visited it I did a couple of times and it was watch- it was like watching something slowly die and fall apart but a magnificent job of uh, refurbishment has been done on the fireman's rest stroke busman's hut and that work should be done um, by the end of December of this year and then there will be a big unveiling uh, sometime as well hopefully before the end of uh, December I will, I will get an opportunity to maybe either talk to the Lord Mayor on this or perhaps own English over the next day or two but it will go outside Anglesey Fire Station uh, that's where they're putting in an area there to accommodate it and that's where it's going to be placed according to Paul Moynihan the Director of Services at, uh, uh, at City Hall. So there's some lovely photographs then in the Examiner this morning going back to 1915 where you see a religious procession 
Do you remember them religious processions passing the Fireman's Rest in 1915? Uh, at the time then, it was being used by uh, the firemen, but they only had like fire equipment on wheels that either they pulled or were dragged by horses. It's a lovely local story uh, for you on this uh, Thursday morning. Uh, you know of RTE and the... I'm not going to you know, talk about the state of affairs within RTE, apart from the fact that it's, it's abysmal. Uh, and um, they need handout after handout after handout. But we look to see if that will make a blind bit of difference. One of the ways is capping salaries. And we all know that nobody in RT now will be able to earn more than the Director General, which is €250,000 per year. Uh, but wait, according to the Independent this morning, the likes of Joe Duffy, Claire Byrne, Miriam O'Callaghan are currently above the salary cap limit of 250 grand. They earn substantially more than that. So according to the Director General, uh, they may well be able to work fewer days um, and make more money, if you can follow that. He says they'd be paid more per day, but they'd keep their salary under 25,000 by working less days. Uh, you know, it's probably some sort of a complicated bookkeeping exercise, but there you have it nonetheless, ways to get around the 250 cap. Um, both the Star and indeed the Sun and the Mirror this morning talk about Ashling Murphy's murderer, for that's what Pushka is, the evil Joseph Pushka. But apparently they're saying that he was set to attack another woman before he stabbed the school teacher to death According to Gardi, that's why you have a, a headline in the Star this morning saying Beast was on the prowl before Ashling. Pushka's targets. Lucky escape is a headliner. Um, and then there's an interesting survey in the mail when they went out and they did fairly detailed uh, research in association with the Morak research. Um, they surveyed 1,000 adults and they found that three quarters of them, three in four of the public, are in support of assisted dying. That three quarters of the public believe that assisted dying should, dying should be permitted in cases where people have a life-limiting or a terminal illness. Imagine where they can make the decision themselves as to when, if and when, their illness gets too bad that they would wish to be helped to pass away. Your thoughts on that are welcome, incidentally. Text 0868 75% of those surveyed say, yes, there should be assisted dying. There's lots then from the courts. I mean, there really is, and some of them are, are quite... I suppose quite quite high numbers of money with regards to drug seizures. I see a Cork man who was driving back from Dublin. He had a inside in the car, he had 130 grand worth of cocaine in the car. So anyway, all of a sudden, then he's coming down the motorway, and two unmarked guard cars with blue lights and sirens are pursuing him. So what does he do with the 130 grand worth of cocaine? He throws it out the window. This is Andrew Marr from Gronabraher was given a sentence of three and a half years with the last suspended yesterday. I suppose cocaine and heroin and all sorts of stuff is coming into the country via the ports, I guess. I don't know how much of it might be coming in by air. But then it's being distributed all over the country, whether it's by car, uh, whether it's on buses, or whether it's on town, uh, whether it's in taxis, or indeed, I'd say a lot of it on the train. So there's an example of it coming down the motorway in people's cars. Then there's another one that talks of a fella down west who was stopped by the guards, um, and he was asked for an oral fluid test. And he told the officers, I know I'm going to fail, because I'm just back from Amsterdam for the weekend. So the headline is, The driver 27 was wheelie high after visiting Amsterdam and he knew he knew that he'd failed the test for cannabis. So that makes the mirror today. Papers also this morning talk about a misfortune. This is just a misfortune that a man would be in you know the throes of such an addiction that he would steal perfume to drink as a substitute for alcohol. Isn't it awfully sad? A fellow called Vladimir Sunchev 
a Russian who's living in Skibbereen in West Cork. He stole a bottle of perfume from a pharmacy. He drank it um, as a substitute for alcohol. Noel Baker has the story in the Examiner this morning. Uh, living in West Cork, he admitted to the offence, pleaded guilty at Skibbereen District Court. They actually entered the amount of money that was stolen value-wise with regards to the perfume. It was €44.99. Euro and 99 cent. I think that's awfully sad. I really do. Papers also this morning talk about... Uh, of course, the first Christmas song was played on this programme last week. And what was it? Fairy Tale in New York be Shane McGowan and the Pogues. Um, and Shane has been in hospital for a number of months now. And he's frail. And he's battling some brain condition that he's affected by. And his wife is asking for the love and the prayers of all of his friends and all of his fans in the papers this morning. And they carry some photographs of the legend in his hospital bed as well. And apparently uh, many people are feeling an awful lot more anxious these days in life, but particularly anxious behind the wheels of their motor cars. Sadly, women are said to be more anxious and nervous behind the wheel than men. It's research, guys. You know, it's just a survey. They're saying that almost half of drivers suffer from some level of nervousness when they're behind the wheel. I don't think you should always be totally and utterly relaxed and zen behind the wheel of a car because that affects your concentration. But nervousness and anxiety, that can really impact on your driving skills, I would imagine. But there it is, nonetheless. uh, One in ten drivers particularly the younger groups, 18 to 34, are admitting always being, always being anxious while driving a car. And that's a survey that's out from uh, Aviva. You did, (laughs) talking about attention or the way you feel about things, you heard uh, the story there a few minutes ago uh, in the news um, with Kelly that modern life is killing our attention spans. Uh, Apparently they have research out now saying that people's concentration levels are so bad nowadays that they can't read a book for more than 11 minutes at a time and they can't watch television for more than 13 minutes at a time. Um, They also found that the beep of a phone or constant emails landing means that we can't focus for long periods of time on anything anymore. Uh, And nobody, they're saying now, who are, anyway, a vast majority of those who research, can't focus on any task for more than 46 minutes on average. Um... What, what What is it like? I mean, television could be a task, couldn't it? Watching TV could be a task. So is it 46 minutes on average for television or is it 13? But there is no one, I mean, no one on the planet can only watch television for 13 minutes. I mean, if they said 13 hours, I'd say something, wouldn't you? Or an hour and a half. I don't know. I've seen, I I, I personally, like, when I saw this, I thought, I said the same as you. I said, there's no way. That no people. way. But then I think about it. And I think about, you know, uninterrupted, not glancing at your phone at all. Like if the phone is next to you on the seat, you're going to glance down at it, aren't you? Just it check it doesn't see. say glancing or distraction. It's saying, nowadays, can't read a book for more than 11 minutes or watch television for more than 13. I think, I think they're saying that with, with, with devices going off constantly that we can't be uninterrupted for 13 minutes without some sort of a device or something distracting our attention and taking it away. But I think it is commenting okay. on the overall fact that we are, like, I definitely think my attention span is less than it was okay. before. Okay, I'm beginning to see 100%. the light here then. You're saying 100%. that the beep of a phone or um, a tablet or a laptop that you 
you have in the room with you while reading a book yeah. or watching television interrupts it interrupts it I actually have to place my phone facing downwards because <laughs> if I have it facing upwards then I, every time any notification comes in and like most of oh, it's right. rubbish most of it's like why do you feel you have to well you have to check for work I get that yeah. because we're constantly yeah, yeah. on guard yeah, which is normal is that yeah. why then uh, there's a bit of that I think and anybody who, but I don't think that's just exclusive to our work I think anybody that okay. works in something where you're on emails okay. or anything like that you're, you're kind of you're just you just don't want to be you don't want to feel disconnected okay. but I, I think I think even with with some people you know you have Instagram notifications going off you have Snapchats coming in you know, we're on we're on like six or seven different social media networks and we're like our phone is constantly every second don't don't miss this post that this person has put up don't forget about this trend that yeah, you haven't seen and the phone just doesn't and leave does you it alone and does end up it then when you're, when you're saying to somebody um, is the TV paused for that or do you have to ask somebody what happened there rewind yeah, I, I actually find watching football is the worst before I'd be able to sit down and watch a match 90 minutes not a batter now I'm putting my head in my phone and throwing my head up and I'm saying oh somebody throw on that in the replay there I'm after missing what's happening because I just can't I, I, it annoys me how distracted I get when I watch TV right. I can't okay. focus on it Understand it more. Can you just load a bit of the Luke Witty audio for me there, if you don't mind? Because I'm going to talk to him in a second. If you don't mind. Just one final story making the papers today. The government jet's broken down. What else is new? The Learjet. It's an awful trouble with that plane, hasn't there been? So for Michal Martin to go to the Middle East, apparently, they're going to have to hire another uh, charter jet for him at a cost of €7,000 per hour. Isn't it great to have that kind of money to bandy about, lads? Uh, text 0868104106. The best story of the day for me, actually, after the break, is a chap by the name of, of uh, Luke Whitty. He's a super musician down East Along uh, in Wexford. And there's a bar down there called The Crown. And he plays rebel songs. And he was playing rebel songs inside because people were asking him to play them 50th birthday party inside in the pub. The pub is called The Crown, which is an interesting name in itself because they asked him not to play rebel songs. <laughs> Uh, more on that with Luke after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Uh, straight to the phone lines. Luke Whitty. Morning, Luke. Good morning, Neil. You, you, don't you? Have to, you don't have to worry at all now because you're talking to a radio station from the Rebel County and Rebel songs are very welcome in County Cork. Oh, thank God. I won't be banned out the show, so... You won't be banned any time. No, sorry. We're even, going to give a spin. we're even going to give a spin to one of your tunes. What happened? You're a musician and you play gigs and you were in the pub yeah. Saturday night. What happened? So, just in the gig, uh, playing my gig, playing a bit of everything. Like, it was uh Brooks and pop and everything. And then, during the night, a Dublin crowd had come in and the faces had to fill up. And they just said to me, oh, any chance of a few Rebel tunes? And I was like, yeah, no matter what would you like... And obviously they had named their songs. Now, I think I said, uh, people are kind of giving out that I said call these rebel tunes, but that's what I was told were rebel tunes. Like Grace was, I was told was a rebel tune. It is. New York was a rebel tune. Uh, then I played Crouch Black and Tans, the Samsung, Fields of Atenry, and maybe one or two other ones. And everyone was loving it. Never had a complaint, never had it. Even when I looked around, when I was kind of judging the crowd, this was, this was what they wanted as far as I could see. And yeah, I had a great night. Went home uh, two days later on the Monday when I arrived home. I had a phone call then from the manager just telling me that two people had got offended and that he was he was banning me from playing music basically. And when I told him that it wasn't going to happen, he was like, "Well, your gigs are here. 
but you're not playing your rebel music because over the last six months it's too controversial it's offended too many people and if and I don't look proud Irish man I'm going to sing what I want to sing if I want to sing rebels I'll sing rebels if I don't want to sing rebels I won't sing rebels <laughs> but I'm, not, I'm not going to be told what I can and can't sing right. I said well that's your beliefs and if you want to stick to it you're no longer welcome and your gigs are no longer uh, receivable oh future, my so. god it didn't end there though did it yeah yeah well it did I, I obviously went home I was devastated because I lost a lot of my gigs for the next year and then uh, I spoke to my mother and father and told what happened and they were just shocked they couldn't believe it they, they were they're nearly like this is nearly racism against Ireland like just for being a proud Irish man you're going to be discriminated against and stuff and, they, and my mother then took to social media to put a post up I sure from there on what then, did your mum say what did she say what was the gist of it uh, I don't think I can say it on the radio to be honest. Okay. <laughs> anyway, your mammy stood up for you, right? Well, my, my mother stood up. She was, she she put up a voice for me, and she need, she just started saying, "Listen, you need to put some up to social media and speak up for yourself." And you know, people need to, to hear the side of uh, side of what happened. So I put it up, and uh, from there on in, then I just got bombarded with phone calls, messages, and eventually. The Crown themselves put up a message. The Crown pub put up a message on your Facebook. Yeah, on their Facebook. But the first post they put up basically came across that I was lying, that it never happened, that uh, they never done anything like as such, and basically I was just making it all up. But then the extra people stood behind me and just bombarded them like, no, this is not true. This He wouldn't just do this. And the following day then, eventually, because obviously the first one was right up in an office in Leash or somewhere where they have the headquarters or whatever. And then the second one then, they put it in my uh, the next day. They put it in my comments in a, a post I had hiding it, and it was a, it was an, apo- an apology. But then the extra people and even Irish people now started bombarding and said, "Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding this and leaving the the one comment layer up on your main page?" And they turn all their comments off and just they really just got uh, people just really got frustrated and they, they they turned their comments off, which stopped people being able to like. An outlet to their anger. Yeah, so, but you know, you can, you yeah. can do that if it becomes way yeah. too abusive. Oh, I mean, that's I that, that's yeah. an important button tap. But my understanding was oh, the yeah. Crown issued an apology, and I'm reading from yeah. uh, this morning's Star uh, on yeah. Facebook, and they said we have always enjoyed having you play in the mm-hmm. Crown. This is unchanged. We value your loyalty and sincerely hope you will consider continuing to play in the Crown quarter in the future. So is it res- is it resolved now since your mammy put the post up? Well, I, I, for me, I, I, I think it's resolved. Uh, but from what I can see from people, people aren't happy. Do you know what I mean? But from my point of view, like I accept their apology, but I'm not like obviously I, I'll never be able to go back and play it because I know they'll be monitoring me. And oh, you mean that blood. that hasn't changed in the sense that they want you to come back and play, but not to play like you, you, you never, say rebel songs. Well, they've never, they've never got like they've only put up what they put on Facebook, but they've never actually. Got, got on to me and said, "Listen, Luke, we want you back playing rebel songs and all this." And but even if they do, like I, I now I couldn't go back. You know what I mean? Because I just know it just be. It looks to me like it's just a, a damage control issue. All right. You know I mean? Okay. So, I mean, your gigs so, are still cancelled there. Like, but you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you think it yeah. might be awkward to go back and play? Oh, one hundred percent will be. So, how would you feel welcome after being like that was how you were treated? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or two complaints. So, could you imagine now if ten people complained? Yeah. Uh, are you are you yeah. are you a fan of the greatest exponents of Irish music? Well, there are many. Don't get me wrong, chieftains yeah. and Planksty and Horselips and bands like that. But are you a fan of the Wolf Tones, where you would have got a lot of your material from? Oh yeah, yeah. Like I, I grew up. My father would be a massive Wolf Tones fan, and then I got to see the Wolf Tones because my father got sick years ago, and we gave me and my younger brother two tickets to go see him in the Dunmore and Wexford, and. 
it's, it's unbelievable like and even seeing them what happened to them last year now how big yeah. they're after blowing back up and all and my younger brother they're all massive into Irish music like the younger generation now are, are massive loving the Irish music and it's tell me just, did you ever meet any of the Wolf Tones? no 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 never met them just got to see them live right do you, ever, you never chatted with any of them? no never never would you like to? I would yeah okay I've got Brian Warfield from the Wolf Tones Brian good morning Good morning to you, and a good man, I tell you, uh, God bless your mother there. Fighting <laughs> your corner. What do you make of it? What do you make of it, Brian? This kind of a story. It's absolutely, absolutely ridiculous, especially in a county that, you know, fought so hard in 1798 uh, with the pikemen and all the great people of Wexford. It's an insult to their memory, and it's an insult to the Irish people. You know, they're cheating the Irish people by denying them their story as they do on uh, radio and they do other places around, they, uh, you know, they have demonized the wolf clones for years. Mm. And, uh, you know, because uh, we told the story of Ireland and because we told it truthfully and honestly, and it's just ridiculous. Um, you know, I'm fed up with it at this stage, you know, I think, I think people have to change that attitude uh, towards Irish music, towards... Um, the song and story of a history. To our history, yeah, yeah, going way back. I mean, a lot of the repertoire of the tones goes back and also includes stuff regarding the famine and the genocide that happened here. But um, apparently two, one or two people complained and that turns the complete tide then. I'm quite sure that everybody else in the pub on the night was having a great old time of it. But you got one, two, one or two naysayers that spoil it for everybody, you see, Brian. Is that, is that common? That's common and they're very vocal. Like, uh, you know, they're the people that get on to, uh, you know, the shows and get on about complaining about this, that and the other. And uh, they just don't want uh, Irish people to celebrate their, their great heritage and history. And uh, I think they're very jealous of it. I think they're um, probably, you know, still hanging on to the Union Jack in some way. But there's nothing wrong with a beautiful song like Grace. You know, the story of the rebel leader, Joseph Mary Plunkett. Uh, marrying his sweetheart 10 minutes before he's executed. It's a beautiful, beautiful love song, for God's sake. Oh, it's one of the greatest love songs of all time, I think. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a huge song all over Ireland, all over the world. The Streets of so New York it, is another one. The talks of mass immigration overseas, the Irish going to America, yeah, getting a job. Yeah. Beautiful songs. I mean, yeah, well, we're, we're, off to, we're off to England now this morning. So we'll be over there in England for the next four days in Scotland. So I can guarantee you that uh, uh, we'll have no objection to any songs we sing in England. Is that right? Even if even if it were in a smaller setting, like you know, a concert, you wouldn't have an objection because people are paying tickets. But in a pub yeah. setting or a, a party, I think Luke, this was a fiftieth birthday or something, was it? Somebody's yeah, birthday. Yeah, there was a fiftieth uh, booked in. Now it was still open to everyone to come in, but the, there was a fiftieth birthday party in. Yeah, but Mr. you know, that's what it is. You can celebrate and, you know, I wrote a song years ago called Let the People Sing. And Let the People Sing is telling people that, you know, you can't stop the music. And the more you tell people not to sing it, the, the louder and clearer they will sing it. The Irish people are very proud of their own heritage and music and history. So I think... Uh, I don't think you're ever going to stop the music. One or two complaints here and there against the majority of Irish people is just ridiculous. What, what? Good man, Luke. Good man. Luke. He's, ke- he's, keeping it, he's keeping it lit. Sorry, Luke, did you want to talk to, to your hero, Brian Warfield? Uh, 
I just, just yeah, I'm a bit uh, blown away at the moment there. Thank God you didn't come back five minutes ago. I wouldn't be to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> no, I just want to thank him for all the songs he's wrote. And you know, every every weekend I go out to get to sing his songs. It's it's just uh, it's an honor and a privilege to even get to speak to him. Well, I, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm delighted with you because we'll be retiring next year, at the end of next year, 2024. Okay. And I'm glad to see that there's a young crowd coming up that will carry on the message, carry on the music and carry on the history. You're not really, that's, that's, that's fake news, Warfield. You're not retiring at all. Forget about it. It's fake news. <laughs> Well, I've got to retire from this show now because I've got to get a taxi and head out to the airport. All right, OK. I'm going to play a tune, actually, by Luke Whitty, one of the songs that you guys made very famous. be lovely at some stage if you guys could collab together. Would that be nice, yeah. Luke, if you could hook up with the Thomas Group? Uh, I pinch me. I'd be dreaming if it happened. Would it be OK if I gave you his number, Brian, do you think, and maybe at some stage somewhere you might be able to do something yeah, with well, it? Yeah, we, well, we see about it. I don't actually run or pick the, the, you know, the supporting acts, but... Uh, uh, you know, I can pass it on to the people who run the show. I'm going to I'm going to send you an MP3 of his stuff anyway, and see if you like it. All right? Okay. Forget about all that retirement nonsense. Go on <laughs> away and get your taxi. I'll have to get the mammy on to him. He set his mother on you, Brian Warfield. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a tune for the musical Luke Whitty. I'm I'm quite sure. To, cheers, Brian. Take care. Safe trip. Thanks, take care. Thanks. All the best, pal, from the Wolf Tone. Um, I imagine that your popularity has gone through the roof now, and you'll get an awful lot more bookings down east along. Would you think? Oh yeah. Well, like, uh, there's places all over Ireland, England, Wales, Scotland, even down at the uh, Bar Sixty Seven, Lanzarote, were on the first to contact me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's ridiculous. I've even, I've even like I have my phone number up on my social media. I won't, I won't be taking it down. And I have, I had people, I had, I had a fella in his sixties ring me yesterday from England, and he was nearly crying because he felt that Ireland was trying to get rid of the only thing he has at home, and that's the music. And I, you know what I mean. And these are the things that are taking a toll on me is all the stories of and just, other I know. musicians and just seeing stuff. loads of texts coming in here say we live yeah. in a PC world gone mad yeah. but I'm uh, quite sure I get people's thoughts on it uh, so you're going on tour then you're going international after all this off to uh, Lanzarote we'll wait and see <laughs> alright well I'm glad you got a chance to have a quick chat yeah. with Brian Warfield that hopefully made your day alright yeah thank you very much alright if you're ever in Cork come up and play a few tunes in the studio for me alright Oh, I will, though. I'll be in touch. God bless. Thank you. Here's Luke Whitty. Super guy, super version of the one road. I absolutely love it. The great uh, Luke Whitty standing his ground. What else was he playing on the night? He was playing uh, the soldier's song. Obviously, he did Grace. He did the streets of New York, the fields of Athen Rye, commercial black and tans. That's one of the problematic ones, the black and tans. Uh, and of course, the uh, Celtic Symphony is the other one for the tones, but they stand their ground also. Uh, they did the, he did the men behind the wire. He did James Connolly. He did Sean South, the Gary Owen. And he did the Celtic Symphony and lots more or besides I think actually and fair play to him and I hope that he goes from strength to strength because we can't forget where we came from as we go on the journey to where we're going which ultimately at some stage I don't know if it will be in my lifetime to be quite honest with you a 32 county Ireland um, as in the whole Ireland of Ireland but we'll have to 
hope and pray perhaps that that will happen. Um, but uh, I know one thing for sure, um, the popularity of the Wolf Tones themselves went into a completely different league following the, ra, the Ooh, uh, Up the Ra incident and other things like that. Uh, and you saw that Electric Picnic, um, that they absolutely rocked it. Uh, wouldn't be surprised actually before they retire if, for instance, the Wolf Tones end up playing Glastonbury. Stranger things have happened. Back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Okay, some emails with regards to the issues in Blackpool last night. Neil, last night the road was closed to traffic from Blackpool Shopping Centre to Blackpool Village. Guards closed it due to an incident where two teens were supposedly arrested following a car chase. It looked like the jeep was rammed by the grotto. A guard I spoke to said as much. It was probably linked to the ongoing feuds uh, on the north side. Can't come on air because I'd be terrified, but some of our elected councillors should be on air and defend us hard-working, decent people living in the area. We just want to get on with our lives safely. We're now afraid to leave the kids walk home from school or walk to the shop from fear of what can happen at any time, any place, as seen again last night in a busy part of Blackpool Village. This needs to be addressed. I know of people in the housing estate where shots were fired during the week who are staying with family because they're too terrified to stay in our own homes uh, next to these people um, living near them. Uh, Something needs to be done before an innocent person is killed because of this feuding. I know Ken O'Flynn was on yesterday morning, but where are the rest of them? Where are the superintendents of the guards ensure, assuring people that they're doing everything that they can? Then another one then regarding again Blackpool, two different instances at the same time. Morning, I was on the way from work last evening when I saw the roads had been closed with no access, so I decided to have a look. What I saw was the bomb squad truck and the guardie evacuating the houses on the road. And then down by the Bank of Ireland, it seemed like the cars crashed, but it didn't look too bad. Down the road uh, was uh, not too far from the bomb squad where the crash was. So it appears to me that there were two separate incidents happening around the same time on the same stretch of road. So we contacted uh, Garda Press and asked them, you know, what's the story there with the... Uh, um, the, the, the crash or whatever seemed to be some kind of a ramming. We were told at one stage there was up to 40 Gardaí in the area and we got a very short response from Garda Press. They said they're currently this was from last night, Gardaí are currently on the scene of an incident in Blackpool um, this evening, Wednesday um, and no further information is available so that was giving absolutely nothing. So with regards to the bomb squad um, we got on then to Army Press uh, and they said Defence Forces Experts responded to a request for assistance from Angarda Shikona in relation to a suspicious device discovered in the Thomas Davis Street area of Cork City. Following an assessment by our EOD team, this device was removed from the area for further examination. The operation was concluded and the area is, was once again opened to the public. Now, it doesn't actually say in that statement as to whether or not it was a credible threat or not. At one stage, the robot, the you know equipment that they use, the EOD, it was actually up near the crashed cars. So I still don't know 100% whether they were linked or not. But listen, if anybody has any updates on it, do let me know. Text 0868104106. The Lord Mayor has a very, very busy schedule on any particular given day. Oh, and English isn't available this morning, so I just wanted to see if he could just bring us up to speed on the historic fireman's hut stroke busman's hut which is currently almost probably finished, just the final touch has been done to its refurbishment before it's put back into, um, uh, I suppose, into some kind of use as a, a visual attraction. I don't know what, but maybe something will happen inside it as well. Um, and it'll be down in Anglesey Street, hopefully before the end of the year. Lord Mayor Kieran McCarthy, good morning. 
Hi, Neil. How are you doing? Um, very well. Yeah. Good, good, good to talk. Now, um, just bring us up. Uh, so let's look back before we look forward. Um, when when was this built and first put in situ on Patrick Street? So, 1892 uh, is the year. Uh, but I suppose you kind of put that in context. Um, so, late 1870s or before 1870s, um, it was insurance companies that had their own kind of fire brigade. And then Cork Corporation created Cork Fire Brigade. And then there was a Captain Wickham who kind of did training and kind of early organisation. And then there was a guy called Captain Alfred Hudson who was appointed. And then he actually kind of commissioned or he got Cork Corporation to commission this new fire station on Sullivan's Quay that kind of was built in 1892-1893. And then there was two other little fire stations built at Grattan Street and the top of Shandon Street. And then he decided to put this little like fireman's hut um, at the end of Parkett Street. Um, that's kind of the general context that there was like the emergence of this new fire brigade and trying to reorganisation and training people and then kind of, we need something at the end of Partick Street. But it wasn't all plain sailing, Neil, either. Uh, when they when they put the hut down the end of Partick Street, um, Alexander Grant, who won grants, was like, that shouldn't be in front of my, my premises, it's blocking my premises. And then they moved it further up the street and someone else said, that shouldn't oh, be in front man. of my premises. There's always one. And then the, and then they moved it outside the the, uh, the new kind of opera house at the time and sure like people came out there that shouldn't be in front of the opera house and then they moved it down then to the end of, of Patrick Street um, so it wasn't kind of like it wasn't all embracing when it actually was it wasn't necessarily welcomed by everybody originally no, but no no but uh, then it bedded in and the firemen used to sit there waiting for a call out was it in it yeah, yeah, I mean, it had rescue equipment and it was like one man on duty all night. Um, but it was part of a wider kind of system where if anything kind of happened in the 1890s, early 19, 1900s, that like 30 men would kind of muster from across the city and kind of get to whatever fire there was within minutes. Um, now, I, I probably need to say that um, a lot of this information that I'm giving you like is on the basis of the fantastic work done by Pat Poland, like, who's the resident Cork historian on all things Fire Brigade. And in fairness to Pat, he's collected an enormous amount of information and, he's, and his information has been very, very useful as well in terms of conservation. Fair play to Pat, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. then we, built, really then we got life. very mod and we got loads of different fire stations all over the place. So at that stage then, did it become in, come into the possession of, of, of the busmen? Yeah, so like late 1920s, you kind of got the creation of this kind of Cork Omnibus Company, and that was kind of coming, kind of coming on the back of the end of the, the electric tram kind of era. Um, so, I mean, many of the trams that, I suppose, one of the central termini in the city would have been kind of Partick Street. So you travel in from the six suburbs um, that the electric trams ran to, and then they'd kind of come in, they'd kind of merge on, on uh, outside Mangan's Clock. Uh, on Partridge Street. And what's interesting, Mangan's Clock comes into being as well in the 1890s. So you get the Fireman's Hut and Mangan's Clock kind of becoming a focus in the Love city, it. of course. Yeah, yeah. And then for a century afterwards, like there's still kind of major foci kind of in the city, which is actually great. Mangan's Clock was recently restored as well. But yeah, the Cork Omnibus Company was kind of set up. This was like, I suppose there was a number of omnibus companies kind of emerging right across the country. Like the, I suppose the early Irish Free State was trying to encourage bus transport, and trams were really slow. Like they were like less than ten kilometres an hour movement. So you'd sit in and like your, I don't know if you ever saw someone like sprinting, but it's slower than that, or someone jogging, it's slower than that. So they were like a slow moving feast in the city. Uh, they weren't in as much of a rush back then, though. In fairness, you know, they looked around uh, and enjoyed. Yeah. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, we're obviously, we have, and we have all the we have all the video footage on, on that as well, of old film footage that was done. So there it sat, there it sat for a long, long time. I, I don't mean to to be rushing you. My apologies, but there it sat for many, many years. And the busmen were in there, and uh, people would call in to mm-hmm. check on bus times, or you know, busmen would conductors would go in and get another role for the for the gadgetarian yeah. for the tickets and what have you. 
Yeah, yeah. And actually, one of the things I, I'd be very intrigued actually to... I have seen one or two stories online where busmen have been interviewed who uh, were in there for a period of time and their stories are really interesting because they're like they're reflecting on the, the changing kind of views out the window over the different decades in the 20th Amazing. century I think there's probably a lovely lovely book or article for someone to do uh, on, okay. on that as well but 20, uh, then, yeah, we get, 20 years we ago then 2003 um, yeah. it was just taken away because Patrick Street was as Owen English says revamped and modernised and it ended up up in Fitzgerald's Park isn't it? Yeah 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 which um, remember at the time it did surprise me that they were moving it and that yeah we're modernising St. Patrick Street and then we've decided to, to revisit in recent years because there's a few of us in the council chamber kind of going you can't just leave that rot some of us have an interest in heritage and trying to promote it and that it's it was such a feature in the past and it's got a I don't know I mean the, if the HUD could actually speak it has a fantastic story to tell and we're kind of going well can we do something because I suppose there's over the years, funding for commemoration has been limited, and then kind of, I suppose, funding has kind of come down from government in recent years for different commemorations. No, I think it's great. It's fabulous. The work. And I, I imagine the work. The work must be gorgeous. Have you seen it? Um, I haven't seen it fully yet, but I, I mean, I've seen pictures of some of the restoration. That they've kind of taken the paint back, and you can actually see the. Uh, the, the Scottish Iron Foundry, I think it's Farlane and Farlane, I think. Fabulous. Well, look, you know, like, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it's a bad idea because it originally was for the fireman, a fireman's rest, and it's going to Anglesey Street outside the fire station. But forgive me for poking a bear here. Would it not make more sense to put it back where it was? No. It's not a conversation the council has had in recent times. I mean, they, we, we, I suppose the the the, the, the the restoration was commissioned, um, but after that, I think as, I feel as a council, we actually didn't get a major chance to discuss it. Those other things. Have kind are, you of come happy with where it's, are you happy with where it's going? For, I, I suppose for I was thinking this morning before I was coming on, going, would I like to see it back personally in the end of Park Street? Yes, but I mean, putting it in front of the fire station, and there's a plaque there as well to what the firemen did to save the city in 1920. Then you have the firemen's hut and story of City Hall that's burning, the story of the old Carnegie Library. Oh, I mean, for me, given walking tours, actually, it's ideal location. I mean, as someone who chronicles this history, uh, it's actually ideal for me. Kind of, it's another piece of the puzzle, and it will actually bring me to kind of my my tours can extend over that direction. Or I've always wanted to give kind of a tour around Anglesey Street, South Terrace, so it might actually help me to, to push that. So on you probably will unveil it, will you? If um, the work yeah, will be finished be, and it'll be yeah. in place by the end of the year, will you be part of the ceremony? Yeah, yeah, which would be really, really exciting for for me to be part of that kind of ceremony, and yeah, being part of the group of people kind of pushing it as well. It's nice, to kind of, when, I suppose, when you go, oh yeah, I managed to do something. I was yeah. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I know. I mean, we probably have to mean give credit to others as well. Councillor McFinn as well has a huge interest uh, in, in in local history, and uh, yeah, between all of us, we kind of we, we push forward and kind of go in. I think sometimes when you know when you're in the midst of loads of different topics in the city council, sometimes you forget about the things that maybe really matter to people. That need a little bit of TLC, and this yeah, is one of them. That, okay. Yeah, okay. and you're going to be listening to. And I do listen to the social media, like listen to your radio station, people ringing in, kind of sharing their stories and their memories. And I mean, I've no doubt, no, after this call, hopefully people ring in, ring in, will ring in and go, oh, I've got another memory of this now, and I remember passing it when I was going on a date. Well, I'd love to I'd talk love to people on it, and indeed, maybe that. people who were on the yeah. buses back in the day and actually used it. Lord Mayor, thank you so much. Um, yeah. it's, it's a long way down the track. Let's get it done before the end of the year, and it'll be a wonderful, wonderful day. And uh, thanks for taking the call. Do appreciate it, as always. Just a little yeah. bit conscious time. Lord Mayor, Independent Councillor Kieran McCarthy by phone. Just break 
breaking news this morning. You may well be interested. Uh, Ryan Tuberty has landed himself a new job. Uh, by all accounts, uh, Chris Evans just posted this morning. Uh, and you can take this as gospel that Ryan Tuberty is joining Virgin Radio in the UK. He's got himself a new gig. Uh, he'll be hosting Monday to Friday from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. every day. And he starts on Virgin Radio on uh, in January of 2024. And Chris Evans posted on social media this morning welcoming uh, Ryan Tuberty to Virgin Radio. So he's got himself a Monday to Friday gig, three-hour show every day, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And I suppose in spite of all of the debacle that's rolled on regarding RTE and the salaries of stars and stuff like that and the fact that it all started back then, with the payments that weren't altogether transparent, uh, you would have to wish him well in his new job starting in January on Virgin Radio. Back after 10. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Morning, all texts already in uh, covering the issues in Blackpool last night. Gardy, sorry, Neil, a Garda car was rammed in Blackpool last night. Within the stolen car, they found a pipe bomb or some kind of improvised shotgun. It's all connected to the current feud. Can't come on air. So uh, the actual army bomb disposal unit robot then, from what I'm understanding from the text I'm getting, because I'm not getting any clarity from, um, you know, press reports, um, that it was checking out the car or it was checking out the uh, the car and uh, that's what it was doing. Regarding last night's incident where the Garda car was damaged in Blackpool, there isn't a day goes by that we don't hear of an example in the news of the dangers that our Gardaí face on a daily basis as they go about their duties. So hats off to Angarda Shikona involved last night for bringing that incident to a safe conclusion when it could easily have ended up very differently. Uh, Neil, the two incidents were related. Uh, they happened at the same time. Um, the uh, device was in the Jeep and Gardy called the bomb squad so that they could move the Jeep and the whatever it was that was in it safely. So keep those coming. Uh, the more you're texting, the more clarity you're getting uh, in the sense that both were connected. Um, Gardy were fast on the scene and indeed army disposal unit as well. And with regards to the survey in the mail on assisted dying, 75% of people say that we should have assisted dying leg- legislation. I completely support assisted dying. Dying. If there was a referendum tomorrow, it would be brought in. Um, can't go get it, come on the air though because I'm getting ready to work. Remember, it's the quality of life that matters, not the quantity. Good point. Uh, Luke Whitty then, who loves to play his music and was on the air with us this morning with uh, Brian Warfield from the Wolf Tones. I'm living in, 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 in Cork but Luke should try Dan Nolan's bar in Ballymurn in Enniscorthy. He'd be welcome to play his music there. I agree, it's absolutely ridiculous carry on that you can't sing that song or indeed a rebel song. I go to the Wolf Tones three or four times a year and it's a joke that people are trying to rewrite our history or even trying to brush it under the carpet. People don't give out about what the English chant at matches or that they try to make Irish people wear the poppy on television. People read too much into what the songs are about. Yeah, but what the songs are about, really, are about stories from our history, aren't they? And Johnny Bongo says, we are telling our story. It's a true song. Um, we can't forget what we've been through. I will never stop uh, and never stop playing the proper national anthem at sporting events. It's not Ireland's call. Uh, you know that. Thanks, Neil, says Johnny Bongos. Um, I'm not surprised by what I'm hearing this morning regarding our heritage and our music. I notice that no one sings the national anthem now at GAA games on TG Cahar. It's like a couple of foreigners walking into Croke Park and saying that GAA sports should not be played there because they don't appreciate them. We have two people complaining in a bar. Everybody is enjoying it. 
the music except for these two individuals. The bar owner should have told them, those two who complained, to get over themselves and to leave the pub if they felt uncomfortable. Uh, it was time where they should grow a pair of Leroydi. Uh, typical of the PC world we're now living in, I suppose hate music will be the next legislation that they'll push through. Hate music. Mike says, long live the Irish songs. And one or two more, because there's a lot on it. I get offended when I see Varadkar, Leo Varadkar, wearing a poppy in the doll, rubbing people's noses in it. There are those that would say, though, that there were many, many thousands of Irishmen um, who died in the First World War or the Great War and that we are commemorating them as well. Uh, the poppy wouldn't actually be a, a British or an English symbol at all. The poppies grew, as you know, on the green fields of France over the bodies. Um, so I think maybe to think that, and I'm not, listen, I'm not defending it for one moment, the wearing of the poppy or whether or not we should be wearing it because it's become very much part of UK culture. Um, but it actually is, you know, something that happened um, you know, long, long time ago and is more significant really by the virtue of and again, we learned that from Irish songs The Greenfields of France by the Fury Brothers where uh, the red poppies grew uh, over the um, unfortunately and sadly the many bodies that were left there or buried there on the fields of France That song brought back many memories of the 1960s in Kanturk when we sang for a school concert Thank you Neil for giving both men and the songs the respect they deserve Unlike Joe Duffy, who told the Wolf Tones that they were brutal, I think he unintentionally gave them publicity. We're falling over backwards to rewrite the course of history. I can't come on air. I actually think, and I would love to see a national day to commemorate the famine or the genocide of the Ireland, the Irish, the amount that died in the famine or left Ireland. I think we should have a national day to mark that. I really do. And I don't know why more people aren't talking about it. Uh, and then on the bus shelter, when it was near Mangan's clock, it was very handy because it was used as a lost and found for the buses. I often left the odd umbrella on the bus and I would pick it up there. And I suppose if it were there now and operating as, as a lost and found, it would probably would be mobile phones, I suppose. Um, but um, something was left on the bus it would end up in the busman's shelter and people would call and collect I love those kind of stories keep them coming text 0868104106 we've got calls on the way The Voice of Cork Neil Prendeville weekdays 9 to midday Cork's Red FM you know there'd be an absolute revolution certainly in my own house if the heating wasn't coming on about 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon because it gets very very cold and of course the nights are cold and if you didn't have it I'd tell you what you'd know about it I mentioned that actually because Mike O'Connor who's an ex-patient of cancer patient uh, in his 70s is above in uh, Roach's buildings and is going to bed early because he had a gas leak last week and they came and checked it out and they went away did nothing about it so he hasn't had anything so no heating so he can't cook dinners there's nowhere to heat the house uh, thankfully the neighbours and friends are rallying around to help but he's going to bed freezing with the cold and it shouldn't be like this now Michael Connor himself is a very private man uh, but I'm happy to chat with him this morning to see if it'll make a difference from by coming on air so Mike good morning Good morning, Neil. Ah, yeah, How yeah, devil. Am I am I getting it right? There was a gas leak. You were smelling gas, was it, Mike? That's right. Yeah, about two weeks ago. Yeah, on the Sunday night, and then I found the emergency code, and they came up, and they were there for about ten minutes, and then they said they were just lacking all the heavens about twelve o'clock at night, and they went away, and I said to them, "So is that serious, right?" Oh, yeah, they said, we sent someone just out during the week. And then uh, it was going all right, right? But it was still leaking. Eh? But their, their Sunday night then, it just stopped completely, right? 
So I had to phone them about five or six times and they said, yes, there's someone out and in the meantime, I couldn't go out because they didn't know what time. So I, I know I'd done for the last couple of days and a horse is freezing. And I got pneumonia and chlorophyll here about two years ago, you know. Yeah, so it's, it's not a good situation, you know. And you were, did you call? There's an emergency number for gas leaks and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I called them about five or six, the nine in there for I'll be getting on each way there. My God, he says they didn't come out yet. More about you, so you know. It's nah. the fire brigade you called, is it? Do you have the same number? Yeah. They, they put me on today. They're gonna the, the gas company then and they told me that uh, they'll be out like. And you've been staying in waiting for them, of course, and nobody's, you had to be there for them and nobody's called and you haven't got an appointment and they didn't give you a time or anything. So, so has it been, so you had no dinners for a few days and were were very cold? No, no, no. All right, but did your neighbours and friends know the predicament you were in? Oh, they did, yeah. I said, they have some that they like, no problem, they are like, yeah. So when they heard, did they drop in a bit of dinner? Yeah, me brother came up and off in the awake and there he yeah, he brought me a delivery and I'll be alright, thank yeah. He's sound as a bell, you know. Brother Mike is yeah, your brother Finbar is sound as a bell, yeah, 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 yeah. So um are you going to are you going to bed early? Are you are you cold all the I'm time? I'm going up to bed late about the other crack right? Because the house is freezing, right? Yeah. I have air fluid this as well, right? What means, you know? Yeah. Recovering from cancer, recently had pleurisy, arthritis in the knees, the cold would play havoc. On the arthritis. Deadly. Deadly. And I was on the streets for four years, right? What? I was on the streets for four years one time. Yeah. Were you really, Mike, before you got your own little yeah. house in Roach's building? 16 years ago. I went down to Borley in the 2007 to 17 January. Did you get sober uh, down there? I did, yeah. And I haven't looked back since, you know. Oh, and my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. And were you on so the streets good, before like, you went to Brewery? I was on the streets for four years, yeah. What was that like? Yeah. Yeah. What was that what like, did Mike? Oh, dead the art, you know. Nights are cold and sleeping beings and taking a suicide all the time, you know? Yeah. Never oh crossed my mind, you know? It's just, it's on my mind all the time, you know? But uh, I don't think that much in that, you know, need. A chapter of your life that's yet. left in the past, thankfully. You're in a better yeah. place now. Well, fair yeah. play to you for getting sober and staying and fighting Thanks it every so day. Much. It's a great Thanks achievement so of yours. Thank you. A great achievement, in fairness. Yeah. So you can see my mother soon have been this way, you know. What? My mother died. She was, this sister blew up your sister, I think, you know. She came to my mother soon, you know. When she died, you know. Yeah. I just really trust me, man, you know. I can yeah. well imagine. Where were you born and reared, then? I was born and reared, like, in Abbey Street. Yeah. On the south side? South side, yeah. Yeah. I'm lovely, in Alley now. Lovely old area of Cork, wasn't it? And isn't loved it, it Abbey Street? Loved it. Loved it. Gorgeous little loved houses it. there and a lovely community. Yeah. 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 Slapping so, apples and up to that. And yes, life is good that time, you know? Yeah. But what are we going to do? What are we going to do for you? I mean, we've got to get well, this yeah. sorted. Like, it's going like, to be very cold yeah. today. Yeah, but they're here now at the moment. They're after coming. When did they arrive? This morning? Yeah, just about... 20 minutes ago, yeah. So, they're okay. doing something with them anyway. Okay. Don't uh, don't let them out of the house until the work is done and finished. Why well, you want, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll get handcuffs. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad, so, yeah. I'm glad that they have arrived um, because when, when your brother Finbar got in touch with us, 
we started yeah. the ball rolling to see if we could get it sorted for you. So they and, must they must have dropped everything really quickly if they arrived twenty minutes ago. It's a shame to have to do that, like, but at least I know, yeah. At least it's it's look. Been, yeah. 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 But don't let them out of the house now until it's fixed. I want not, and, uh, and listen, thanks very much. Not at all. And it doesn't it show how kind neighbours are, dropping in food and oh, checking yeah. in on you? Oh, yeah. I, I, I found that, uh, you know, the most important thing is that uh, you don't take a drink, but your family, they're the greatest treasure of all, you know, family. I know, I know. Yeah, I, know. I have two beautiful girls, you know, I have. And my wife clo- is my best friend now, you know. Your wife is your I best one, friend, yeah. And I have one girl in uh, New Zealand, you know. There's two girls with Beck and Natasha, you know. Well, isn't it They're great lucky. that having gone through all of the horrors that you have an appreciation yeah. of all that yeah. now? Yeah, yeah. A man told me one time, he said, it won't always be there after six o'clock. <laughs> yeah. It won't. The spring will come and the summer come into your life. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. And how do you spend your days now? Well, yes, I get up, I go off for walks, I walk up and I'm walking up and down them roads now nearly 16 years. I got a uh, no knee. I got very sick with COVID. I was in hospital with COVID. I got very sick, yeah. I got it here one day, I didn't know it, and I walked all the service, um, there, and I got a test, and I came back, and I ended up in hospital after, yeah. yeah. But I'm more okay. here. I'm more okay, yeah. yeah. Your time is far far from done on this planet, my friend. Oh, yeah, I think so. I, you know, my mother would say that, you know, near for the good reason. There are, you I'm are, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. But they look good, very fair to yeah, me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, boy, and uh, unconditional love, you know? Yeah. Do you I love, love it, Do you man. love your city? Oh, I love it. Oh, Jesus, man, sure. No. My, my, my most favourite place when my daughter used to take me away, like, was uh, Amsterdam. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Amsterdam. It's a lovely city, isn't it? Loved it, the hustle, the bustle, the chocolate, the ice cream. You wouldn't leave it for Cork, though, I'd say, Mike, no? Well, I said, mate, if we ever went to Lafayette, I'd get a houseboat and answer that. <laughs> I would, yeah. And uh, the meetings, the meetings are only around the corner on Dan Square. Yeah. The AA meetings are close to the houseboat. That's the one, yeah. yeah. Do, you do, do you do the lot or religiously? Oh, you only do it now and then, you know. No one did. You yeah. never know. I couldn't think of a nicer man for his numbers to come in yeah, than yeah. yours. Yeah, yeah. Nice okay. one. All right. Make a cup of tea from the lads from the gas company there and they'll do oh, the yeah. job. Yeah, so I get my cup of tea, yeah, man. All I right. did, yeah. yeah. Don't leave him out of the house because it's going to be cold later. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. But listen, thanks for that. And cr- all good for Christmas, Mike? You don't need anything? Are you in good shape or what? Oh, what yeah, do you do? Oh, yeah, I am, bye. Thanks so much. Would, would, it be, would I be prying or would I be nosy to ask where you'll spend it? Oh, I spend there. Uh, I go to my daughter's Natasha, you know. I uh, told her Natasha and Rebecca and we go. And he said, my wife, right? Lovely. When I, when I did down the worry, uh, they got in touch with her. Look, I tell you now, and I'll make it quick. My brother there hung himself in 1987. Very you know? sad to hear that. And uh, we were there to get in the new house. Rebecca was born and he was drinking at the time. I know. But uh, obviously yeah. it had a huge impact on your life. But you, you know, God yeah. rest his soul. But you turned you turned it around and look at I the did. place you're in I now. Did. You're with the yeah. the appreciation of life and family. Have have oh, a great Christmas. Just give me a, give me a text and tell me that the heating's back on, will you? I shall, me well. 
Mind you, not at all. Lovely chat with you, Mike. Take care. Thank you. Happy to help out in that one. They move very quickly on that one, which is great. Happy with that. Text 0868 104 106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Good luck to Tuberty. I was just thinking there earlier on. Tuberty's going to be absolutely exhausted going from presenting a show of less than 60 minutes to a show of three hours on a daily basis. I hope he's fit for it. But good luck to him on Virgin. Meanwhile, uh, oh, listen, um, the Garda Shikana and their uh, great work in Blackpool last night, um, people from Blackpool have been texting saying, the people are living in Blackpool would like to say thank you to the guards and the army bomb disposal team for keeping us safe last night, Neil. They were absolutely fantastic. I know, it's even bizarre reading out a text like that. I mean, if you were to, th- like, and, and again, this is still kind of quite sketchy, but it would appear that the Gardaí foiled a, a potential pipe bomb attack if that's what was in the vehicle a pipe bomb and many are suggesting that it is feud related I can't say that without I can't say that without a caveat that I'm not 100% sure but that's what people are saying pipe bomb feud related Gardaí foiled it last night in Blackpool and kept people safe talking about uh, keeping people safe if you were disturbed in any of the aspects with regards to my call with Mike O'Connor there regarding um, his, his brother's life um, you can always call the Samaritans for help if you're struggling on 116123. That's 116123 if you're affected in any way regarding my call with Mike. Um, I'm glad that uh, the services are there to put him back in uh, business with regards to heat because he'll need it because, um, you know, we're hitting into a, uh, a colder snap now as we head across into the back end of November, December and into January. And he's uh, he's in way too frail a condition not to be able to turn the heating on. So text 0868104106. The Gardaí got a bit of unfair criticism in the past day or two regarding this feud. Some people need to understand that knowing that someone did something and then proving that they did it in a court of law are two very different things. What you see the Gardaí doing is only a small percentage of the work that they do behind the scenes. Well said, Desi. Thank you for that. Text 0868104106. Now, very interested in this story, and I think you will be too. I mean, you could say that it is a missing cat, right? And that and that's fair enough. But to somebody, of course, it's a family member and a much-loved pet. But this is quite different, actually, because in an effort to try and find the cat, the family behind the story are going to extraordinarily lengths, extraordinary lengths. Now, uh, I want to talk to Lolly, um, originally from Spain, but now... Um, you know, Cork is home, and uh, and uh, the owner, I suppose, um, of the cat, whose name I think is Rumsey. Lowly, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks so much. Not for a, not at all, because I know you've been yeah. on to us a lot, but I didn't really get, get an opportunity till now. So um, anyway, Rumsey is a grey, short-haired cat with orange eyes, missing since November first, and you you've been sending up a drone every day. Yeah, that's correct. So she's a grey cat, orange child. You wouldn't miss her because she's, she's a new soul. She has a light, fluffy cat. And we've been flying the drone out over like millions of gardens because, I mean, the views that you can get from the drone, they are fantastic. And she's been following the drone in several locations, but this time, now since since the 4th of November, we've we've got... No news from her. Are you are um, you telling me that there was a stage when the drone was up that you saw Rumsey? Yeah, so that was in the past. She's been following the drone uh, in the past, so to get back home. Um, but now, since the fourth of November, we haven't seen her with the drone anywhere. Close uh, I, I'm trying. I'm trying to follow this. Rumsey would go out for a bit of an old walk or a ramble. Um, yes, and and you'd put up the drone. 
she'd see that yes. she'd find her and then she'd use yes. the drone to bring her home again. Indeed. So she would be familiar with the sound and she knows that the drone would be your property. So wow, she would follow up. That she is follow, yeah. bizarre. So then she went out November 1st and never came home. So that's right, never came home and we've been knocking, right? We've been knocking door after door. We've been talking to 400 people and I know the number because we've been printing papers nonstop and um, we've been uh, putting uh, posters in local shops, petrol station, the church. We've been in many Facebook groups and we are after talking to a pet detective there. I'll get to the pet detective in a second, but so you've been you've knocked on four hundred doors, printed leaflets and pamphlets, and where? What area of Cork? So we are in Ballyvolan, um, and we've been knocking around in Meadow Park, Ballybrook, Ashgrove, and Meelik Park. Now I'm sorry for my pronunciation. No, you got them all right. Your Rosbara Meelik Park is right, Meadow Park is right, Ballyvolan is right. And have any of them spotted her over the past few weeks? Just two people seem to have seen her a couple of days after the 4th of November. Uh, so that was kind of odd. Uh, they saw her in their back garden. But then after that date, which was actually the 7th of November. No so, sighting. Yeah. yeah and, no the, sighting. and the drone goes up every day um, for what, like a few hours, is it? And yeah, so the drone, we are after taking it um, 30 minutes and in the morning, then other 30 minutes, midday, and then in the okay. uh, afternoon okay. before it gets dark. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, you also believe that Rumsey may have been taken for breeding. Is she a pedigree cat? Yeah, yeah exactly. So she's neutered. She wouldn't be used for breeding purposes. So there is no chance, obviously. Um, she's microchips as well. So. You know, immaculate conception there, yeah. But do you think she was stolen, perhaps? I believe so. Unfortunately, I think someone is after taking her in their homes because it's very odd that with the drone, we haven't seen her in the area. So she might, she may be in a house or in a shed, although she has a very loud voice. So uh, you would you would you would hear her if she's locked somewhere. Okay, I I always thought that you know of all of the animals on the planet that cats could always find their way home because they're nocturnal. They go off on tour, but they always come home. Yeah, so I mean, fingers crossed. It's been almost two weeks, so it's very unusual that she went off and not back in those two weeks. Because after being neutered, she had a, a litter. So her son is at home waiting for her and the uh, meowing nonstop and uh, like our, our hearts are broken hearing him, yeah. So he doesn't understand, obviously, he's just a cat, yeah. And tell me now that there there actually are things like cat detectives. Yes. So there is actually just a few of them. Um, there is a certified tech detective that is based in London and he's flying all over the place. So we a cat are detective in London. He's a detective yes. that finds lost or missing or stolen cats. That's correct. That is correct. There is a high percentage that he may find. He may find the pet. So um, we want to make sure that he uh, is not completing any of the, let's say, um, any of the tasks that we've done so far. 
So have you spoken? Wa- I'd love to talk to this cat detective if you have a number for him. But have you spoken to? Is it a man or a woman? Forgive me. It is a man. Have, you, sp- a man. have you spoken to the detective? Yes, indeed. So he told me that he could help us out with DNA forensics as well as witness assessments. Um, and he would need to fly to Ireland, right? Get accommodation and then um, dedicate full days nonstop. Day four days. Night. Four days. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of what kind of cost to you? Did he give you a bill? Yes, it is pretty expensive. Um, I can tell you now. It depends. Maybe it can be extended. Uh, the search can be extended. So it would depend on how long he needs to take to find our pet. But it's over the. 1,000 euros. Yeah, detectives usually charge like by the day or by the hour or something, would they? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's correct. And do you know, do you know that this pet detective has actually found pets in the past? Yeah, so uh, he has information about his percentage. He has a 67 successful rate. 67%, yeah. Yeah, it's up there. Um, it's more successful than than not, but um, he 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 has in his website many successful stories. Obviously, in many countries, not just um, the UK. And actually, the man is Irish. Okay, no, I, I will get a chance yeah. to talk to him at some stage and see how he works. But yeah. just, just be cautious of that. That's a lot of money, you know. Yeah, I know it's a lot of money, and look, we offer a we a reward for. The person that helped us with her finding, right? And instead of, you know, paying a pet detective, obviously, we want to put more money for that reward. Um, so, so yeah, any any information, someone that might have seen her, she's grey again, orange eyes, fluffy coat. And we would be giving our number there. Yeah. What's the reward? The reward is um, it's a cash reward. Um, so... We would be confirming details there with with the person that helped us find her. Oh, you don't have an amount yet. You know, there's a um, yeah. s- set amount of money as a reward for her successful reunification it's with her little boy, her little cat, her little kitten. Little cat, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, will be a cash reward indeed. Oh, okay, you don't know how much though. Uh, not how much, because um, I have to confirm with my partner. As yeah, well I know, I know, I know. You must really love yeah. that cat, though. We love her. She's her baby. I mean, we have no family here in Ireland. I'm Spanish and, and he's French. So she's like, you know, our child. So we really hope that someone has information about her. I know, you're heartbroken. I know. It is. Listen, all pets are family members and they're much loved. For God's sake, it could be a cat or a dog or a canary or a parrot. We love them. Indeed, indeed. She's um, she's actually Irish herself. We got her in Waterford. Okay. So, um, yeah, we love her so much and we are devastated. We are just also feeling guilty that she's out there because of us. And um, Why are you blaming yourself? She like because, have to go outdoors, yeah. don't they? I know she loves outdoors. She loves hunting. She loves. I mean, she brings you know birds to to our front door all the time, and we feel like she enjoyed so much outdoors that it could be, you know, um, a punishment not to let her out. But then at the same time, 
these are the con- the consequences um, that she could disappear. So, yeah, so now we are just blaming ourselves. Well, I just hope that she's safe in somebody's home and they're looking after her. Did, did she have a collar on with a number or anything like that? She's microchipped, so if they bring her to the vet, uh, they'll figure out our information, names. Do people everything. put collars on dogs anymore with a, with a mobile number, the dog's number on it, mobile number, no? Yeah, that's true, that's true. She has no collar, though. Um, she At this time, she has no collar. We will make sure 100% that she'll have it when she... I think it's very important, back, you know. Yeah. They say that you shouldn't put the name of the dog or the cat on the on the collar and the pin, and the pin but you should put a phone yeah. number on it. That's what I'm talking about. But anyway, listen, you'd never know. Somebody may well be listening now that might be able to shed some light on this. Uh, ideally, if Loli, if sorry, if, if Rumsey stayed in the general vicinity of Ballyvalan, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Fingers crossed that somebody knows now listening and to give us a call. Um, I can give my number out there and, and, and hopefully we hear something soon because literally I just cannot concentrate at work. We are having a really hard time and so it would be so appreciated to hear. And yeah, I know you're clearly worried and upset. Yeah, you can't, you can't function yeah. this day. Yeah, the drone will go up again today, will it? Yeah, it will go up today again and we will be non-stop day and night. It doesn't matter if there is no light. We are searching all around the place. Yeah. Okay. All right. I know it's really hit you hard. It really has. I'd love to see a happy conclusion to this. Um, Again, a grey, short-haired cat with orange eyes, Rumsey. Uh, missing in Ballyvalan since early November. Drones up, knocking on loads and loads of doors. Um, Very friendly and approachable kind of a cat, yeah? She is. She's friendly indeed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You'd never know who might be listening. If I have any news, um, I certainly will pass it on to you. Um, give, do you want to give out your number on the air, or do you want people to get in touch with me, or what? I can give out the number there. So it would be zero eight three zero six seven one two three one. O eight three zero six seven one two three. One. Okay, make a note of that number, lads. I have it here as well, if anybody cites Rumsey. Um, like, you see a cat like that, can you approach Rumsey? Will she come to you? Like, can you pick her up or would she run away? She would, it would be, it would be depending because she would notice who is a cat person that kind of way. Yeah, um, I know, I know. But so at least we, at least if there's a sighting, it might narrow it down and you could definitely. react to it quickly. All right, Loli. Even, even if they cannot get her, yeah, a sighting okay. would be so appreciated to know. Thank okay, you, yeah. Okay, Can you hold on there a second? I just want to get details of the cat detected from you, detective from you as well. Is that all right? For sure. Okay. Yeah, 100%. I'll, okay, I'll Loli. Cheers for now. Thanks. Take care, take care. Anybody help, please do get in touch. Text 0868104106. Drones in the air and pet detectives. Uh, that's as extreme as I've ever heard it. James, good morning. Good morning, Al. What do you I make of that? What do you make of that one? Drones in the air for me. What? I don't think anybody would put. I don't think anybody would put drones in the air if I was missing. And I can guarantee you, they wouldn't put it for me either. They'd be rubbing their hands with glee. I'd say, free bed, he's gone. <laughs> but anyway, pets are different, though. A little story, a stray cat straight into my uh, daughter's house and she'd become naturalised, as she could be. And the next thing she goes missing. So that was fine, all panic, big search. Uh, my son was at the gym, which is nearby, and they, the next thing he heard the cat up in the tree, meowing. So he took her down, brought her home. And then in a very short time, we worked out that she went, she took a lift to the gym with him uh, on the car. How? That was fine. In the back, back seat or what? Or inside uh, the no, engine no, bay? They pop in on the engine for heat. So... <laughs> Anyway, a couple of days later, gone again. Retraced the steps. He had left home, gone to Bishopstown, gone into a gym, left the gym, and 
headed off and no cat. Of course, again, hell of a loo. Put a social media post on. In about maybe an hour or two, there was a call back. The cat was in Bishopstown with a lady in Bishopstown. Went up, uh, collected the call back, everybody happy. <laughs> so she had travelled 60 kilometres roughly on the car for free. <laughs> the engine? Yeah. I had two weeks ago, this is not a coincidence, I couldn't make it up. I was sitting at home one night and I heard meowing outside. I went out and I thought, I'm losing it. And it went on for two days and I thought, there's something wrong, I need help. And in the end, I went into the local garage, put it up in the lift, and here was a kitten above sitting on top of the gearbox. <laughs> she had been there for about 100 kilometres. So that's how they go from home. That's how they go from home, on cars. No, it's, it just, that, car. it's just that your cat doesn't like your home, prefers, prefers the comforts, yeah. comforts of an engine bay, that's all. Well, I have a dog here that doesn't like cats, so that probably has something to do that with it. That probably well. has something to do with it too. So they're just amazing, and she's still home. This this other one is still home. At the other kitten, I managed to rehome her, and it was happy endings all around. But I said that's how that kitten left or that cat left the house. She sat up on the engine for comfort, and she was gone for a spin. It could be it could be a solution. I don't know to the mystery. Uh, but when the engine then goes cold, they leave the engine bay, do they? And they go home. Well, there's, no, there's great shelter. This the kitten at my house stayed there for two days because there was still heat. Was still heat, and she was afraid to come out. I'd say she was just frightened. We had to tear down all the undercarriage of the car to get at her, <laughs> of him. <laughs> I'm not joking. I went in the the guy. The guy Tom said in the garage, "This is a first. But are there any moving parts before. in the engine that would damage the cat oh, or the kitten? Oh, absolutely. I've seen it happen with cars where they've gone down into the fan belt and they just flittered. Oh my but they're, god! They're, they're cute. They're cute enough. They stay away from the dangerous place. They know what the heat is. <laughs> like in a lot of new cars now there's a lot of room around the engine because they're not as big the engines aren't as big so they can manoeuvre around and get a comfortable spot and they travel for free okay. okay well that might be a lead for lowly you'd never know maybe start checking car check engines back. huh? if they could check back to where they might have travelled around the time she went missing and where they might have parked excellent point I hope she's listening and picks up on that little bit of a, of a, of a steer you'd never know if we want a better term that's All right. All right, my man, appreciate it. Take care, James. Take care. Uh, I hope that we'll be in a position (coughs) to talk to the pet detective detective in the morning. Um, You can't really do anything at short notice, but hopefully tomorrow will be better. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Lots and lots of texts on cats and kittens and things like that and things to do. Some of them won't actually, forgive me, some of them are quite alarming um, and I wouldn't want to be worrying the family anymore. Suffice to say... that there are some areas of Cork where there, um, you know, a lot of cats have been taken and there's some very cruel people around. I won't go into any further detail than that, but hopefully that won't be the case. But I do know, because actually it was, it was a conversation that I was actually having at home some time ago. I don't know why we were having it, but some, I think it might have been my wife was saying that, that you know, cats and, and animals are, are very cute and smart and they know what's going on around them. I think she was making the point that there are times of the year that cats hide kittens um, and they hide kittens in all sorts of strange places, including including the engines of cars, I suppose, because they need to keep them out of the reach of tomcats, who unfortunately um, are attacking, killing and eating little kittens. So the mother uh, cat knows this, particularly in kitten season, how to save them from the clutches of the tomcats. I thought it was a phenomenal story. Um, anyway, talking about phenomenal stories... Um, uh, I get all sorts of texts and conversations with people. This is this is this is incredible. Hazel, good morning. 
good morning, Neil. Okay, now I'm, I'm just going to listen to what you have to say because um, I'm, I'm I'm intrigued. Uh, you love cats. I think you have nine cats. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we have lots, loads of cats, and my my mother as well. She has uh, fourteen dogs. Fourteen so dogs. Okay. This is it, it happened to us twice. Now we just with the cats. So there's loads of reason why they get lost. So either they met a cat who's actually in heat, or they are in heat themselves, or no. Maybe that, okay, I understand them. that they can. Can I? And I hate interrupting, but but um, in the case of Loli's cat, Rumsey, she's female and neutered. But I I know what you mean. Go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. But they, there's lots of cases why they divert their attention and they don't go back to trail. Now, when this happened to us during pandemic. What we did was, because we saw a video on TikTok and on Instagram, because we were very desperate that time to look for, for Maui. Maui. So Maui is a ginger cat, and he's an adult cat. And what happened was Maui just went home, I mean, so, sorry, went outside, and usually he, he comes back home within the day. But what happened after 24 hours, it's not usual for Maui not to go back because he will get hungry and all that. Yeah. Now we panic and we look throughout the neighborhood and then we saw the video and said you have to talk to other cats you have to describe your cat like we say Maui oh we saw a stray cat can you help us find this cat he is a ginger cat he's kind of chubby cat his name is Maui if you find this cat can you tell him we miss him and he needs to go home and every cat that we saw in the street is like we we always say this, the same description and one day we're biking and we saw group of cats we say six seven stray cats all together they're following us in a bike and then the next day on the seventh to ninth day there's loads of cats going back to our house and we actually saw in our cctv that one of those stray cats with a black and white print actually pushed maui to the gate so we know that they have a certain communication. And just before we went outside to check the, the cat, the other cat who helped uh, Maui go home actually just left. And it happened again the same time this year to my friend. And I, I told the same thing. You have to describe your cat to other stray cats. And she updated me that the cat actually went home on the fourth day. So talk to, so you're telling me, talk to other cats describe the missing cat and those cats then will tell other cats and before you know it you have loads of cats on the search on the prowl looking for Maui the missing cat and and the cats that you talk to can understand you yeah yeah actually it's weird but people can search it on TikTok because it also happened on other pet owners and they can actually say it's effective so so a whole load of cats then went out they found Rumsey. One of them was the leader. They brought him to the gate and the mm. leader cat pushed Rumsey mm. in the gate of your house. Yeah. Uh, Maui, yeah. Maui, my apologies. Maui, Rumsey's yeah. the missing. <sighs> um, yeah, that's, that's what happened. And, and, they, and they left then. They went off on their merry way. Yeah, yeah. They just, just move on on their own life and all like... Well, you don't. You but don't. You won't even get the chance to feed them, thank them, because you won't. They didn't it. stay around for a reward or a no. little bowl of whiskers or anything, no, or a bit of fish. No, no. And and actually, Neil, I saw 
I'm part of a Facebook group on Bishopstown community. I saw someone posted there that some cat is missing. And we are feeding a stray cat in our house. And my mother-in-law will always say, where do you? Like, he, she always hear me say, cat, someone is missing. This is the description of the cat. Tell that cat to go back to his owner. Why don't you talk? To, if you have a stray cat there, why don't you talk to the stray cat and tell it to go home? Yeah, yeah. Well, we we always, I always do. Like the owner miss you, or the other cat might be missing, and they miss. And the do you ever get the impression that they understand what you're saying to them? Yeah. You know, what? they do because if I I don't do they do they nod their head in agreement or how, how does that they work? They will look at you. They will look at you. Straight on the eye, they will look at you. They will listen. I think they know if you're a cat lover or you just don't like cats. Because no, I mean no. Listen, I've heard of horse whispers, but not cat whispers. I did see a lot of talking cats in Stuart Little. Do you remember that? The, 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 I know that's a great film. Now I wouldn't diss it. It's great fun. Some of the cats yeah. were good and some of them were bold, but they they did seem to be able to. You, listen, you, know, yeah. you, you know that film where they were communicating the cats? Yeah, and you know what? No matter what's your language. They will really understand that you you're looking for a certain cat. Yeah, well, I know that Lassie the dog was able to understand, um, you know, from all of the mm. films and go out and rescue people down the mines and yeah. people at sea. Tell them, Neil. You search them on TikTok, Instagram, everywhere. So, Actually, it's also on YouTube. Okay. You don't you don't think it's you don't think it's purely coincidental though that Rum, that no. Maui came back. You think that he was no. brought home by the other cat? Yeah, because. Because, like I told you, I also have a friend who have the same experience. Cat went missing, and I told her exactly the same thing as what I did. Okay. And could you could you put the word out to all of the cats that Rumsey is missing and give all of the cats the description? Would you do that? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Just describe like this. um, The cat missing is a gray or the name. Yeah. Well, would you tell all of the cats then that Rumsey is? The Rumsey is a grey, short-haired cat with orange yeah. eyes. Yeah, I actually have 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 note note here on my phone: orange eyes and a grey cat, and the name is empty. Because I was thinking that stray cat who goes to our house, maybe even if it's not, you know, close, I live in Bishoptown, and that person. May, no, but all you have to do is tell. Or. No, but all of you have to do is tell one of your cats. Yeah. Um, Rumsey's yeah. description. Fine, yeah. And that your cat will head off then and on. and get. Get the pack going. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's okay. what they do. Okay, okay. Yeah, um, you you know what? Tell her to do that and ring you back if that cat will go back. Oh no! I mean, I, I I'm 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 desperate. I I take all sorts of help. There's no like the cats don't have their own social media page or anything. No, that they yeah, share. They from it. No, no. Okay, okay. It's word, it's word. It's word of mouth. Then all right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's it's word of meowth. Yeah, <laughs> but, but but really, it's kind of weird for some people who don't know these things. But if oh no, I wasn't owner, aware. I wasn't everything. aware. I wasn't aware. I'm, I'm delighted I am aware yeah. now. Um, okay, so you you get you get working on that. Then we'll see if you have some success with it. All right. Yep. Yeah, yeah okay. I do. I do have friends, and, my, and okay. me and myself, I've experienced that, so I know it's effective. Okay. Okay. D- don't be a stranger. Let me come back to me if you have any updates or any information or any sightings from the yeah. other cats, will you? <laughs> Yeah, okay. Okay. Take care for now. Appreciate it. Thanks, Hazel. Extraordinary. It's uh, extraordinary where we live in. Who knows, man? Who knows? Stranger things have happened. Who am I to judge? Who am I to doubt? Doubting Thomas. Text 0868104106. Back after 11. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show. Red FM.
FM. 49 guards, they say, were available to go through the incident in Blackpool. Um, it could mean that we, we that they are available when we need them. Well, I think I don't think you'd be criticising anything or anyone with regards to perhaps potentially a pipe bomb. I mean, you do need uh, the guardie to react to that quite quickly. Now, I'm, I'm assuming you're making, you're making up the figure of 49. People living in Blackpool, actually, and again, another one. Thank you to the Gardaí. Thank you to the Army Bomb Disposal Team for keeping us safe. We were certainly worried and in fear, and they were fantastic to allay that fear. So there you have it. Um, a lot of the time you find that um, people rob someone else's car because they don't want to damage their own cars, or they don't have any cars, or they don't have good cars because they don't get up and work and go out and do a day's work and earn money to buy their own cars. So they're happy to rob others. I don't know if that was the case here. I'd love to be able to piece the entire thing together. Um, I think maybe both of those incidents were probably related. Uh, the crash, uh, it possibly could have involved um, the ramming of a, a guarded vehicle in pursuit or something like that. Then when the vehicle was stopped, I think perhaps arrests were made. Uh, and after that, then the discovery, I believe, of some kind of a, a device, um, possibly an incendiary device, possibly a pipe bomb. Um, politics. Uh, actually, I'll come back to that. Let me just stay with one of the things, some of the things we've been talking about this morning. I know you won't mention this, well I will mention it because there was more than me involved in the um, busman's hut and the fireman's shelter but Una says I have to compliment all of your efforts on your programme to get the old busman's hut restored. I remember your coverage of the issue over the past couple of years I have no doubt that without your coverage on your programme this piece of Cork history would not have been resurrected um, your programme is a great protector of Cork's heritage on every level and you never miss the opportunity to keep it alive true Corkman. Thank you for that. That's beautifully said, Una. I don't usually read out texts like that, although they warm my heart. Uh, but there was a team of us here who were involved in it in the early days and wouldn't let go. In fact, I remember talking to Kieran McCarthy on the topic on a number of occasions. If we could only find the Dunscombe Fountain now from the bottom of Shandon Street, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Don't know where it is. Don't know who took it. It was taken away there when work was done at the area just at the end there at the Northgate Bridge, that little plaza area that they put in. They took the Dunscombe Fountain Away, fountain away. It went into storage in a storage yard belonged to City Council and from there it disappeared. Um, the latest, I wonder if we could get a detective involved in this, but not unlike the cat detective uh, because what I was hearing was that it ended up in situ in somebody's back garden. We could use a drone on that one, couldn't we? Flying over, <laughs> flying over the, the back gardens of Cork Homes. Anyway, um, on the poppy about the poppy, I grew up in Northern Ireland. I used to wear a poppy to honour the men and women who died in the First and Second World Wars. They died protecting all our democracies and stopping the spread of fascism. However, I don't and won't wear a poppy now. The problem started a few years back when the British government included the honouring of British soldiers who served or were killed in Ireland during the Troubles including Protestant, Loyalist, Ulster, Defence Regiment and the UDR. Uh, there lies the problem for me. I won't honour a British soldier killed in Ireland or honour the people who carried out the likes of Bloody Sunday and Bally Murphy. It would also include the brutality carried out during the War of Independence. We should have an Irish poppy made in the shape of a shamrock, if you like, with a white centre for peace. I do honour the men and women who died in the First and Second World Wars on Armistice Day, I watch a good war movie or documentary on that day, the likes of Band of Brothers or Saving Private Ryan or something like that, says Des. Thank you for that. And there's lots then on the missing cat, Rumsey. That lady is living in an area where a lot of cats have been taken in the past. There are cruel people involved. Uh, tell, her, tell her to talk... Yeah, OK. 
just with regards to talking cats talking to other t- cats um, tell her to, t- t- tell her to put out cat's litter tray in the backyard a cat can find their way home they can pick up the scent and they can follow it for miles a cat's litter tray from the home as in the litter tray of the missing cat and the missing cat's kitten and that poor woman cats can decide at any age to go and live in another house I have a cat who's four years old. He lived near me, but won't go home. I brought him back several times, but to no avail. He lives with me now. He was only a kitten at the time four years ago. They decide where they want to live, even older cats. They're very independent in that regard. And and to some extent, you could almost say single-minded or perhaps even a little bit selfish when they do things like that. Just listening about the missing cat. I live in Ballyvalan. Last week, my cat was poisoned. And passed away. Six months ago, the same thing happened to a different cat. Who's laying poison and for why? I hope this lady finds her cat and that when she does, she buys a bell and a reflective bib for it. In this day and age, I don't know what the reflective bib is about. In this day and age, when we're supposed to be more conscious of the environment, I find it infuriating that people are proud of the fact that their cats love the outdoors and bring dead birds home regularly. Domestic cats are the single, single biggest killer of our native wildlife. The sooner we get legislation forcing cat owners to keep their pets confined, the better. Oh, I understand now what you mean by a reflective bib where they wouldn't be able to catch or kill birds. So keep those coming. Text 0868104106. We've got calls on the way. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Started earlier on this morning about uh, Irish songs being played in the pub and the uh, couple of punters got odd about it and the singer, a uh, fellow by the name of Witty, was told not to be playing him anymore and he couldn't come back and play in the pub if he did. English person says, um, the Irish, Irish songs are enjoyable. I'm English. I would never be offended by the songs. I heard them in clubs in England many years ago before I moved here 25 years ago they're very unique with stories and words of great meaning so thank you for that Uh, and there's more a lovely text then with regards to our conversation earlier about Roach's buildings Uh, that man living up there couldn't be living in a better place I grew up in Roach's buildings you won't find nicer people well said now can I just turn my attention to an interesting email that I received the other day for somebody uh, who was going through the uh, interview process for a job Uh, as it happened it was uh, a job at Cork airport. Uh, I'm looking to return to work after six years where I had two children in that time. I applied for a job in Cork Airport as one of the search unit team members where they look at your bag through the scanner machines as you go through security. I completed the aptitude tests and this is important. I completed the aptitude tests. I completed the medical. I passed guard of vetting. She says I would assume it's standard for the job like this um, but they do require an employment history. She says, however, I must account for the past six years of how I was earning money or basically living. Now, bear in mind, she's returning to work after six years, during which time she had two children and did the early rearing of them and was applying for a job then after six years. I must account for the past six years of how I was earning money or basically living. My husband was the sole earner in this time. I said I was a stay-at-home mum, that my husband was earning, and that they now and they now say that they require his bank statements over that period of six years. Now, I'm not applying for a mortgage. It's a job. And I don't understand how it's anyone's business and how they can even ask for these details. Is it legal? Do I have to provide these bank statements? I have nothing to hide, but I really think that this is crossing the line. It's a matter of principle, but I really don't want to be sharing too many details just to get the job, including my husband's bank statement. 
Can you or perhaps any of your listeners shed any, any light on this? Now, I was intrigued at that because you, you might think you'd be asked for references. Right? You might also need to know that a lot of the time employers check your social media feeds to see what kind of a person you are. But certainly references would be important. And, and if you weren't working for the past six years, surely some kind of a better way of ticking all the boxes could be come up with rather than looking for bank statements, which are quite private, actually. Uh, and notwithstanding the fact that they're your husband's bank statements. So I would have thought there would have been a GDPR issue on that. Um, but I, I just didn't have an answer to it. Uh, but I tell you who does. Damien Ruby, sorry, Damien McCarthy from um, HR Buddy, who he's been on the air with us in the past as Damien, uh, dealing with different issues like this. They have their headquarters, HR Buddy is headquartered in Killarney and offer P- HR support to small and medium-sized businesses across the country. So we sent Damien McCarthy that email, last him to have a look at it. He gave me quite a lengthy response, but I thought it'd be better to get him on air. So Damien, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, what do you... Now, I did get a response from Cork Airport, but I'll, I'll do that in a moment. What do you... Well, on the face of it, what do you make of that? Well, I suppose when you originally uh, hear uh, this woman's story, you would be quite shocked or smacked by it. Um, I suppose, like, what I would have to say is that obviously, you know, in aviation authorities and anyone dealing with, you know, uh, international security and the security of passengers would obviously have very stringent background checks in place, okay? So, and, and that's for a very good reason, okay? And you would presume an authority uh, like that would have a very copper-fastened process in place, um, almost that you wouldn't even question it, okay? Yeah. I suppose the one thing that I find interesting, though, about this woman's story is, and, you know, I suppose the big thing here, and it's the same for any employer who's interviewing or, uh, uh, you know, hiring people for a job, okay, and putting them through the recruitment process, you know, there are nine main areas of discrimination. And I suppose, you know, you, you can't, um, you know, obviously be, be seen to be discriminated against an individual. The question I would have about this is, is this woman being discriminated against, no matter what the industry is and how copper fastened their processes need to be, but is this woman being discriminated against? Under know, the Employment uh, Equality uh, Act of 1998, which prohibits correct. discrimination in the workplace, or would that include the potential workplace at interview stage? Uh, yeah, that act widens to uh, the hiring process. Okay. What are the what are the grounds of discrimination? You say there are nine of them. There's nine. Yeah. Uh, so gender, age, race, religion, sexual orientation, family status, civil status, disability, and membership of the travelling community. So you know, to to give a kind of very blunt, kind of obvious, you know, silly question to ask in an interview. You know, what age are you? Are you married? Are you pregnant? they would be big boo-boos. You're discriminating against the candidate straight away. I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that. But yeah. number six, now I, I, I checked independently with someone else besides your good self involved in HR law and they told me that it breaches uh, the grounds for discrimination under family status and also said that GDPR for her husband's information is also a red flag. Well, that, that's the the other area, I suppose. Um, Would you agree with that? Again, with, 
I, I would well look what I'm saying is there's a question there's questions to be asked with regards to this I, I'm not going to say that most definitely that has that is what has happened okay because look there's two sides to every story I, I'm I, you know I'm not involved professionally in that process and I'm taking this informa- information second hand so I would have questions in those areas with regards to GDPR and discrimination, very similar to the, the other independent person. Okay. Oh, well, I mean, okay, so you, you have to box clever on it, but here's a layperson's interpretation, which would be mine, that under the Discrimination Act, um, which prohibited, prohibits discrimination under all of those grounds, one is family status. From my, my layperson's eyes, it would seem to me that somebody who takes time out of the workforce to have children and to rear children is protected even under the constitution for that status and it would seem discriminatory that she would have to prove what she was doing while she was protected by discrimination law against it and the constitution yeah well like in in other words Neil no matter uh, what the authority is and how stringent they have to be in their background checking with them maybe with regards to aviation and international security and so on you still can't discriminate against a woman, you know, uh, for being married and for staying at home, rear- rearing her children for a number of years, even if that is, you know, an employment gap or a gap in their city. That is obvious discrimination, no matter who the authority is. Well, do you answer my question then? It is, it is discrimination under the Act then? Yes, yes. By what okay. I'm being told, yes. Okay. I, here's I, here's know, the statement. Here's the statement from Cork Airport. Well, here's the statement from Cork Airport. No, I appreciate that, and thank you for your expertise on it. Hold on there. While we don't comment on individual employment matters, I haven't given the ladies details, and I wouldn't share any information like that, obviously. Although I do have them. While we don't comment on individual employment matters, we are happy to provide some context to your query. Uh, aviation is one of the most highly regulated industries and safety and security are always the utmost priorities. We'd all agree with that. There are stringent mandatory procedures in place to assess everybody's background when applying for a job in a secure, regulated area like an airport. All applicants are required to successfully complete guard vetting, enhanced background checks and a regulatory five-year employment history check. Where there are gaps in an individual's employment history, applicants are required to demonstrate that they were living in Ireland during those periods. If they were living abroad, they need a foreign disclosure from the police service of the country where they were resident. Nobody would disagree with that. Bank statements are one of several applicants are one of several ways applicants can use to demonstrate that they were resident in Ireland. Cork Airport is responsible for ensuring that these checks are correctly completed and all checks are done before anyone is offered a contract of employment. Now, I understand the security implications. God knows we do need them. Uh, but how, how would you react to a, resp- a response like that? Uh, yeah, well, uh, like you would say fair enough to uh, the statement. But the question I would then ask is, why is it her husband's personal financial information? So, you know, her husband would have no obligation whatsoever, you know, and would have GDPR protections as regards to releasing his uh, personal financial information to any organisation or authority. And also the other question I would ask, well, why is her husband's uh, information being requested? So, you know, why and how do they know that she is married in the first place? You know, because that shouldn't be relevant to any job application under, uh, you know, discriminatory grounds inside the Employment Equality Act. So, you know, I, I suppose you can have very safe processes in place for very good reason. 
but there's a big question mark here whether the you know the line has been crossed with okay. regards to discrimination. Okay. Let, let's let's put the shoe on the other foot then. How are she, she's passed all of the tests and the checks and everything, including the guard vetting, the medical aptitude tests, everything. So these are standard, but she's done all of those, so she could be deemed as being a, an ideal candidate. How, how can how can a, an interviewer or a company that wishes to take somebody on who's taken time out to have children, how can they fill in that blank safely? In this case, six years. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, the number or the number one way. Uh, to deal with any employment gap in your CV is to fill in that gap and just to openly and honestly say, you know, uh, what was happening inside in that six years. So uh, they could perhaps mention that they chose to stay out of the workforce uh, for six years for family reasons. And then that's dealt with, you know, they've been upfront and honest about that. I suppose it's tricky for employers inside interviews to ask questions with regards to employment gaps. They will want to know what, what, you know, what was going going on there in that gap. And if there's a six-year gap, it probably will be raised in an interview. But the employer has to be more careful about that because they don't want to step into the areas of, uh, you know, the nine, uh, the nine areas of discrimination, such as family status and uh, that type of thing. So then, if that comes up in an interview, the the employer has to ensure that they have it documented. Um, you know, that this isn't going to uh, be part of the decision-making process what the candidate has revealed uh, with regards to family status inside the interview. So it's a very tricky area and it's actually much harder for employers to get this right than it is. Is it much harder, uh, is it much harder for an employer like this that really has anti-terrorism commitments as well to honour? Yes, I, I would I, I would agree with that. Um, there's probably a much higher chance that they, they cross the line, but you know the the Employment Equality Act has to be respected and upheld by every employer. So you know um, that's something that they just have to deal with. And, and most certainly in this situation, it seems that you know if this lady isn't hired for this job, could it be argued that she's not getting the job? Uh, you know because of her family status. Most certainly you would think that that would be the case. Wow. And does that mean that she could take an action on this basis under the Employment Equality Act of 1998? Most certainly I would think so. From what, from what I know of, of this case, I would say that, yes. Uh, okay. No, thank you. You've been frank and you've been... Yeah, no, thank you for that. I do appreciate it. You're not the only HR company that has said similar to me. Um, uh, is there, Would there be any other way of finding out and proving? Because actually, do you know something? When you look at the discriminationary grounds, one of them is gender. Could it be discrimination on two of the nine, gender and family status? I don't know, I'm just thinking you, about that. You could, you could uh, argue that. You is there any other way then that they could, could they fill in that gap? Any could, other, could, uh, any other way of proving that she was a stay-at-home mum? Well, well, no, I, um, no employer uh, should ever touch off the area of someone choosing to be a stay-at-home mum because it, it should have no impact on whether they're successful in applying for a job or not because it's it's the, it's straight it's straight up discrimination. But there's a gap you in know, her. Uh, but how how do they find? Uh, yeah, I know. I, I, yeah, I know. Well, it's, it's tricky. Yes, and she has explained. She has explained that gap to them. You know, so that should be it, and it should take no part on whether she gets the job or doesn't get the job. It seems that it still does. Um, 
it, or still is going to have an impact on whether she gets the job or not. Okay, okay. You know, so I, you know, it could it could definitely be argued that it steps into the ground of discrimination. Okay, thank you for that. Um, uh, the response from Cork Airport is it, it wasn't a question that was asked off the cuff. I mean, nobody at the interview stage made a mistake by asking that question for bank account, bank statements of, of her husband um, because the, the response from the airport stands over that uh, fact. You know, that bank statements are one of several ways applicants can use to demonstrate that they were resident in Ireland. So uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens next in this regard then. Um, don't you think? There's not a whole lot more to report on that. Um, but but there is some more questions to be asked as to what what exactly can be asked of, what, what can't be asked of someone at interview stage? Well, I suppose, look, the interviews in general, um, they're very interesting. I think in an awful lot of circumstances, interviews can be done, um, you know, uh, quite poorly. I suppose some of the most common mistakes with regards to hiring uh, candidates is, you know, uh, not having qualified and professional interviewing panels and so on. Um, You know, asking kind of leading questions where you get, you know, your answer is yes and no and so on. Um, You know, the experience really isn't tested and challenged inside in the interview. Um, You know, there's an awful lot of mistakes made at interview level by employers as well. Uh, You know, where there are things like, you know, similarity bias, for example. Um, So that's What's that? Well, like, take an example where myself and yourself sit down today and we interview someone. Uh, We get two candidates. One is very like me in personality and their experience. Maybe they look like me. High chance I will pick them. They'll be my favourite. Then, you know, the second candidate walks in, they look like you. Type, the same type of personality and experiences you handsome and good looking obviously and <laughs> similarity bias yeah, yeah and that's similarity bias you will pick them and that's very common to give a, a, a quite a good strong example that I always use for that is Alex Ferguson handing over to David Moyes at Manchester United okay that's a, a classic high profile was there similarity bias, bias there well, yeah, it was a, a, a younger red-faced Scott for, you know, the older red-faced Scott. Um, and, and we all know how that worked out. So the, there was this... Uh, so Alex Ferguson was leading a very successful Manchester United. Obviously, the replacement was, um, you know, kind of a, a key appointment. And you could argue that they got it wrong. But what happened in that situation is Alex Ferguson had input into who the replacement would be. Obviously, Alex Ferguson picked someone who was a very good manager, David Moyes, but someone who was like him. And yeah. perhaps okay. he wasn't the right man for the okay. job at the okay. time. And that happens quite a lot inside an in organisation. Firstly, firstly, you need to have people who are qualified in the area of recruitment and interview techniques because there are a lot of pitfalls. You mentioned some of them earlier on, asking a woman, are you pregnant? Um, yeah, uh, no, that's uh, like a, a, a and, and I suppose a sidebar to that is the question, do you intend in the future to become pregnant? Yes, exactly. And I'd like, I mean, look, uh, that's a very obvious blatant kind of no-no on site in an interview. I'd say probably more commonly, maybe things like uh, asking candidates about childcare uh, and things like that, you know. By oh, do you have children? Um, and yeah. what would happen with regards to them if you were working here? Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, or what age are your children and that kind of thing. And and sometimes those questions are asked, you know, by mistake inside in interviews, and and they're very genuine kind of warm questions. But obviously they're a complete no-no because you've gone into there, you know, family status, and if this person isn't successful, you know, can they argue they've been discriminated against? And of course they can if that mistake is okay. made. It's discrimination because a company does not need to know 
um, uh, about what happens in your life, in your home, whether you have children, the potential for them to be sick or uh, to be off in yeah. the summer or midterm and how it might impact on the job. Yeah, and, and obviously then it should have absolutely no bearing whatsoever on whether a candidate is successful or unsuccessful in what's, their application. What's, what's so wrong with asking somebody their age, though? Well, it's age discrimination. Okay, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, absolutely no candidate should ever be asked uh, their age in a, in a job. So do you, do you, you, do you know, with regards to a resume that one would submit for a job, you don't have to put that information down, like your age, married or single, children you you would have your to gen, yeah you, but you, you don't have to put your gender sexual sexual orientation your family status whether you're married or not you don't have to include your civil status whether you have a disability or not um and whether or not you're a member you're a member of the traveling community okay okay it makes it a level equal playing platform for everybody for every job whether you're capable physically or mentally of doing it or not it has to be fair and equitable to all yeah, and the the idea of those nine grounds and the Employment Equality Act is that effectively someone can be hired or not hired and it's never going to be on the ground of being discriminating against any individual. Okay. So they're there, they're there for a very good reason, but it, I would admit it's very difficult for employers to, you know, trade carefully in, in these areas, you know. Well, if if I were an employer, I might I might push back and say that makes it impossible. It makes it impossible at pre-interview stage to whittle out those who are not ideal candidates. Well, um, I would have sympathy towards that. And I suppose a lot of the work that we do is helping people sitting in and the interviewing uh, process with them and so on. Um, and I suppose having that kind of experience and you know the, the professional kind of qualifications in the background to not make these kind of mistakes or fall into those booby traps inside and, uh, interviews and so on um, you know it's very important obviously for an employer I mean uh, and there's even further uh, legislation coming with the Pre- Protective Disclosures Act now which is going to widen that act to allow whistleblowing for interviewing candidates as well and that's coming into effect on the 17th of December so you know if anything it's actually getting harder and harder for employers to kind of avoid you, you, you wouldn't be able to not hire somebody because they were a whistleblower in a former job, is it? Well, no. Um, uh, in, inside in the interviewing process, if someone was to make disclosure uh, with regards to something that uh, happened or was said uh, inside in their interview, um, the Pro- Protective Disclosures Act is now being widened to protect someone who is actually just being hired or being interviewed for a job as well. And uh, currently, as it stands in law, uh, with regards to protective disclosures or whistleblowing, uh, someone who's being interviewed for a job isn't covered in okay. that. It's okay. only when you're employed by the employer and in the job. So that, that's been okay. I, that, I understand. That, that's a by the way. How do how do employers conduct background checks? I've heard an awful lot about employers, you know, doing the interview, but at the same time checking your social media feeds. I mean, do they do that? Do they do they do do they do they check criminal records? Do they do credit checks? Uh, what else do they do? Yeah, well, the credit checks would, would be, um, I suppose, again, in highly regulated areas like the financial authorities and so on. Uh, the obvious ones are, you know, education history checks, employment history checks. Uh, the reference checking is always an obvious one. There may be uh, a medical check beforehand um, and things like that. The, I suppose the, the employment history one is, is is always an interesting one, I think. I mean, there has been high-profile cases in the past where people have claimed to have 
you know, certain qualifications and got high profile jobs and after a certain amount of time it found out that that was never checked and it wasn't the case that they're qualified to do the job and so on. Um, I suppose and sometimes, sometimes they were fairly high up medical jobs, weren't they? They were, yeah, jobs in uh, universities as professors and lecturers and so on. Yeah, so, um, you know, an employment, you know, it is very important for an employer to do background, uh, their background checks and the appropriate ones. I mean, where people are driving in their job and so on, obviously, their, you know, the driving record of the candidate is very, very important. And no employer wants to bring in someone who, you know, who's on, you know, nine or ten uh, penalty points and they're not aware of that situation. But how would they so find that out, though? Yeah, well, I suppose what the the important thing for the employer is to set this out in the recruitment process. So, uh, you know, the candidate should be aware of what the background checks are. And then, uh, you know, if a candidate is going in with their eyes open, they will provide that information to the employer. Um, so, you know, that needs to be set out. Uh, it's not correct for an employer to come along and decide, you know, I'm going to do a background check on this guy, but I'm not going to do a background check on that guy. Uh, because again, <laughs> it could be argued again, you're, you're going back into discrimination here. Why why do a background check on me and not do a background I check? I understand on that, me? but if you have an ideal candidate and you're just about to push the button and tick the box, how are you going to find out if they have a criminal record? You can't ring a guard and say, will you see if there's a post record for such and such a fella? No, and you, you wouldn't be able to, with regards, like, really with regards to criminal records and so on, it's in the areas of uh, safeguarding and childcare and so on, where guard of vetting would be. Guard of vetting would do, would do that, yeah. where it was necessary for that particular job. W- w- yeah. Would there be an alcohol or a, a, a kind of a, a drug test, or is that allowed uh, in the uh, workplace, or how does that work? What? Uh, okay, well, that's an interesting area. I suppose at pre-employment, at a medical check, perhaps drug and alcohol testing can be carried out. Um, once you're an employee, I think it's a very interesting area because there's no law in place uh, no, uh, to allow mandatory drug or alcohol testing inside in the workplace. So the only way that, that an employer can drug and alcohol test um, an employee is if they have written consent from the employee in the first place. And okay. if they don't have that written consent, they can't do it and there's nothing they can do about it. And actually I've argued in the past that this is an area that workplaces and employers need to be you know, need strength in legislation in, in that, you know, we should be protecting workplaces and the safety of people in workplaces. So you can't spot uh, check employees at work then for drug and alcohol no, tests. But can you do no, it to an interview, can you do it to an interview, ta- unless they uh, uh, agree to it, but can you do it to an interview candidate? Yes, if, if you clearly set out it's part of the um, that it's part of the background uh, check process and then would be included as part of the pre-employment medical. And what would that show up a drug and alcohol test? Is that like looking for liver damage or what? Well, it would show up if there's any substances in the system uh, and so on. No, I, I'm, I'm not an expert in that. Substance in the system could yeah, be narcotics, yeah. I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. obviously that's why the proper professions, that a, um, a medical profession carries out those tests for, for an employer. But effectively what you're checking for is that there isn't uh, drug and alcohol abuse okay. uh, in, in place with okay. a, a potential candidate. I know I'm battering you with questions, but you're very good at the answers in fairness. You know, they, you, you talk about people's employment history right on their resume uh, and their education qualifications do you think that all employers check that Um, I'm wondering are there many of them read it on the resume take it as gospel um, and don't actually they might they might they might do a credit check or they might do um, you know 
Garda vetting yeah. and stuff, but they wouldn't actually check what people are telling them to be the truth regarding their employment or their education. Yeah, and the obvious thing is that these things should be checked. Um, no, they should also be, you know, questioned inside the interview in the first place. So, you know, if you hold a good interview, you, you probably can find out that someone is telling a fib in the first place. Um, an awful lot of employers don't do the proper background checks with regards to employment history. I think probably the number one reason is time and resources. You know, they just, they can't get around to this. And if they get a good candidate at an interview, you know, they kind of don't have time to get around to check it properly. They're happy with how the interview process went and they hired the right candidate and so on. Wow, that's fairly blasé though, isn't it? Well, it, it, it is, absolutely. But, um, you know, an awful lot of hiring managers and businesses, you know, are busy. And I would say that that's why you should ensure that you do those employment background checks. There, I think also there has been maybe a loss of faith in things like reference checking and so on. So I know a lot of the people that we work with have mentioned, you know, what good is a reference to me? Because I know that another employer will give you a good reference for a bad employee. And I suppose that's where, again, I feel sorry because they because they want to just move that employee on, is it? Yes, and yeah. also I think a lot of employers are afraid that you know a, uh, not referencing someone Gee, or giving yeah. a bad reference would leave them open to you know it being challenged by the, their former employee wow, uh, man, and so on. Fairly, you know, because a, a lot of employers would obviously argue you know the law is on the side of the employee. You know, so sometimes you start to see bad practices because, you know, that might actually be the case, you know. Okay. So just, and I mean this finally, I won't keep you much longer. Is it true then that employers do check, um, you know, social media, people's Facebook, people's Twitter, people's Instagram, see what kind of a person they are, see where they would see what they get up to outside of work? Uh, Well, I I would think that, uh, you know, to be honest, obviously people do check. Uh, social media profiles and so on. Um, again, I would say that it's 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 an area that could be open to challenge. And inside in the recruitment process, the employer should make it clear how exactly background checks will be done. So you know, if there is background checks being done, you know, is it illegal to check a social media profile? Well, if you state that background checking, including social media profiles, will be checked. It's a, I would say that's not open to challenge. Okay. If you don't, perhaps it could be. Okay. So it, 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 it perhaps is still a bit of a grey area. But look, if you have a personal uh, social media and that profile is public, there's nothing stopping any individual from checking that social media profile. And it's very difficult to say that that would be illegal if an employer done so. Okay, okay. So in the case of the email that I received, all I can say at this stage is the ball is in her court as to how she moves with this and the information that we've provided her with, right? Yes, and look, the, again, I'm, I'm looking at this from the outside. So I understand, I'm not saying it on your behalf, I'm saying it. No, no, absolutely, no, but the, the, there could be further clarifications made from, by the, the organisation in question okay. uh, as well. Okay, we'll, we'll chat with her off air and see what she makes of that response and see what happens next in that regard. As always, Damien, thank you so much for... Uh, coming on air and explaining so much. Appreciate it. It's Damien McCarthy, um, who has uh, a HR buddy 
um, and is also an associate member of the Chartered Institute of Personal Development. So we'll see where that goes. I'd be very keen to hear from you guys and your stories with regards to interviews and interview settings. To be honest with you, I, I will come back after the break and see. I just want to do one more call and see if I can get texts in between now and midday. Cork's biggest conversation is here. The Neil Brenderville Show is on Cork's Red FM. An excellent question there. My, my apologies. I didn't see it on time to ask Damien. Somebody wonders about whether the HR guy could have an opinion on gender quotas, whether they're legal or illegal. What I will do is we will ask him off the air for you. And if there are other questions like that, we'll put them to him as well. That's an excellent question with regards to gender quotas or quotas regarding sexual orientation. My apologies. I should have asked them. I, I really should. Uh, but I overlooked them. My apologies. I'll make it right tomorrow. Meanwhile, um, for all other business, we'll pick it up in the morning. If there's updates with regards to Rumsey, the orange-eyed cat. We'll also come back to that one tomorrow. But you will recall the floods in Middleton. You will recall everybody coming together and putting on the Middleton Together Music Festival. It took place on the 5th at the GA Park in Middleton. Uh, and it was an incredible event. Uh, there was all sorts of people played, including uh, Paddy Casey, John Spillane, the Frank and Walters, Derek Burke, loads of them, and all of us to raise money to give to St. Vincent de Paul to pass it on to the businesses and the homes and the community that was damaged by the flooding. Well, the uh, final figure is in, and John Fenton, chairman of Middleton and GA joins me by phone. John, good morning. How are you? How did you get on? We had uh, a fabulous day, um, a magnificent day. There was 500 tickets were sold, uh, 350 adult tickets and 150 juvenile tickets. And on the day, there was over 400 people turned up. And the event started with Derek Burke at 2 o'clock. And from then until Paddy Casey closed the show at 9 o'clock that night, the place was rocking. Um, with, as you mentioned, some of the acts that, that were there, and it went down a bomb. And um, we had a great day, great response, and um, the people of Milton turned out to support those that, that were affected by the floods. And did you get good weather for the whole gig? We were very lucky. Uh, ironically, for what for the cause of it, we had a, a fabulous day weatherwise. Uh, the man above looked after us, and that was that was a great assistance on the day because people were able to move in and move out. We had food trucks outside uh, in the, in the parking area in in the club, and people were able to move in and out. And the kids were able to go out in the field and let off a bit of steam, and then come into the hall and listen to the music. Oh, the bar was the, the pavilion was open, and people were inside there as well. So, from a, a, a point of view of, of enjoyment. Both young and old had a fantastic day. There is the kernel of an idea that perhaps you might think about doing annually at Middleton GAA. Do you hear me? We've already thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> how, much, how much good luck with that? So well done. How much did you raise on the day? Well, between uh, vultures and cash, we, we've accumulated over 16,400 16, euro approximately. Wow, so, for an afternoon's um, work. And did everybody give of their time free? Yeah, that, that was the great thing about it. All the artists, all the people involved. We had um, G4S security and AOS security, and Nolan's cleaners, and all the people, lighting people, uh, all the, the the background staff, um, our own lads, uh, our own crew, uh, our club members, and members from other societies and clubs were in the town. Everybody gave up that their is um, amazing. And that was free on the day. So the way people came together. Yes, we, we had a fantastic day, a great uh, day for for everybody. Okay, so sixteen thousand to be absolutely accurate, sixteen thousand four hundred and twenty-two euro. What will happen with that? 
that is on its way. Some of it has already gone to St. Vincent de Paul. We've met with the, the local area of St. Vincent de Paul uh, and all the funds and all the vouchers that we get will go directly to them. Um, we're just tidying it up at the moment with with the GoFundMe page is now closed and uh, the Eventbrite was just collating the money there now and that will be transferred either today or tomorrow. And they then will pass it on well, to flood victims. They have their own methods of doing it and they have assured us that uh, the, the money will go to victims of the recent flood, yes. Fabulous day's work. Well done to all involved. Yeah. John, thank you for the update. I really do appreciate it. What a great no result. Take care, sir. John Fenton, chairman of Middleton GA. Might become an annual thing. Not the flooding, but the big festival for the families every year in Middleton. Lines will stay open. You can text 0868 104 106. I'm over time. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.